Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. forgot about your Facebook name. Yes, mis- Mystical, Magical, and Mysterious. Yes. <laughs> well, most of us have more names than is good for us, right? Yeah, yeah. It's weird. I've actually, I've had that conversation with a couple of people, uh, I guess, in, in my same profession who don't have different names for, for work. And, um, yeah, I don't know. That's that it's it's important to me to keep a, a level of distance. I think. Yeah, I tried that for a long time. I did it for a long time, but uh, it ended. People found me out. Fair enough. I was like fully doxed. Oh shit! And then I just I just thought, fuck it, I'm gonna just roll with it and uh, let my freak flag fly, as they say. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, like it's it's. It's sort of like an open secret because I, I, I'm a writer in like other parts of my life and um, my book came out earlier this year and it has my real name on it. And like I sell that on my professional website, people can put two and two together. I'm just not advertising the fact that I'm out here on Facebook talking about like complaining to the sewage and water board you know like no one needs to hear that from me (laughs) if they're coming to me for tarot readings yeah exactly 
So the Facebook name is is the legal one. Kind of. Okay. See, I, I, no. Now you're talking my language. <laughs> yeah. No. Like layers of obfuscation. Like I said. So actually, like my legal name, as in my government name. That's you don't need to say it. You know, we're we're live here, so. Oh, I, I figure it. Um, I, I, I might say it. I, it doesn't matter. But um, that name, the name that's on my birth certificate, no one has ever called me. Like, my parents did this weird thing where they gave me an unusual middle name that they planned to call me by. And then a boring legal first name, just in case I didn't like the weird name and wanted to have a normal name. So it's just been a lifetime of, like... What is someone calling me? Why are they calling me that? Is it the IRS? Is it a friend? Are we in school? Like, so I think this flexibility of naming has just always been very normal to me. You know, as a kid, I always, when I heard the story of like uh, tribes that would have, you know, vision quest for their adults uh, to become adults and pick their own name, I always thought that made sense because I always thought it was a little ridiculous that these two people who happen to create us get to decide what we're called for the rest of our lives. Totally, totally. And I mean, before they even really know who you are, I mean, you're, you know, usually you get named, you know, either when you're born or sometimes before you're born, uh, you haven't had a chance to become a person and, you know, tell, tell them who you are. So yeah, I think, um, it's weird though, isn't it? That it gets linked to this idea of authenticity, like, I've definitely had people yep, yep. side-eye me a little bit, like, oh, well, Celeste isn't your real name. No, but Celeste was a name I was given in a dream right before I started doing this work full-time. Yeah. So, you know, like, in a sense, it is it is the real name for that work. It's just not my, my government name. <laughs> You're preaching to the choir, my friend. Yeah, I yeah. Ha- I have three birth certificates with three different names on them, so... Well, that is bananas. Yeah. <laughs> and none of them are what my dad wanted me called. He had three options for my mom. He's a comic book collector, so his options were Tarzan, Conan, or Bozo. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, now, in retrospect, with the Irish heritage rank in my family, Conan wouldn't have been bad because that's an Irish name. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, it's at least a little more... Uh, conventional than bozo you know bozo in retrospect like if if i could have been born and jumped to the age i am now i would fucking love to be called bozo oh my god (laughs) dude mine mine is bozo people be like yeah right no it's bozo no seriously it's one of my driver's licenses yeah amazing i'd probably uh yeah yeah how do you think so my facebook name which i mean i'll I'll happily say it on the podcast because you want people to find you it's not hard to find, really. I mean, I'm just not accepting anyone's friends requests on Facebook anymore. So yeah, I don't do can. that either. I feel <laughs> I might hurt people's feelings, actually, sometimes by, oh. you know, because they, they are aware of what I do online than I do. But that's because, like, you know, the only person I actually want to talk to on Facebook is my mom. I don't really right. want to talk to anyone else. I mean, I, I have a magical group, of course, for the Celtic mysteries that you're yeah. in. And I'm doing that grudgingly because it sucks because <laughs> not everyone's on Facebook. But it's yeah. also so useful for so many people. It's just you, there's no platform that we can all be on. I mean, a lot of people are actually even banned from Facebook and can't even yeah. get on it simply because who knows? Well, there's a million reasons these days, right? Yeah, it's, it's a dicey thing. Um, I'm not 
any longer like a huge Facebook fan, which you probably wouldn't know. I mean, if you are my Facebook friend and you look at how often I post, you're going to raise your eyebrows and be like, she says she's not a Facebook fan, but <laughs> she's so, on here all the fucking time. You know what I have? But, um, <laughs> I have an automation that po- po- that automatically reposts my old posts. That's smart. That's yeah. smart. Yeah. Yeah. It, it lets my mom feel like I'm still a part of her life. <laughs> And that's the thing, you know, and I've, I've tried, I tried a couple of months ago, actually, to um, create like a new Facebook profile with a really, really limited friends list. Because I've got something insane, like, uh, you know, 1,700 friends on Facebook. You think most that's of them in- are, insanely low? It's insane. I don't need that shit. Uh, most of it is, you know, I mean, I, I've lived all over the world and I grew up in England and Australia, so it's a way to keep in touch with those people. But a lot of it is writing community people and magical community people. And I think it's become for me like more like LinkedIn. This is just like my professional network, kind of, yeah. with with these moments of, of personal stuff coming through. But I tried to break away and make a sort of secret Facebook that would just be for, you know, venting and personal stuff. And it's just, it's too much work. I had that. Then I was, yeah, I had that. <laughs> I was sitting there and I was like, who do I want to add? Of, of the 1,700 people, who do I want on this secret profile? And I added like 10 people. And then I was like, I, this is stressful. No. I can't be bothered. <laughs> I had three, one with my magical motto, one with mm-hmm. my original birth name, and then with my legal name. And mm-hmm. Facebook deleted both the other two due to mob flaggings oh that it wasn't my real name. The problem with that was the, my magical motto one controlled uh, dozens of pages that I had spent tens of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads to build oh, and make God. money on. So I lost all that business. I just It destroyed me. And that was all because some jealous competitor had me yes. mob flagged. Because tons of people are out there with fratter or sore or blah, 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 or with a magical motto. It seems unfair that only selective people ones who have mm-hmm. spent all this money building businesses in particular can get banned just because of a mob of competitors. People who yeah, don't like that you're making money bananas. and successful can ruin your career for years. Yeah. And Facebook and I, lets that happen. And, and I think, you know, I mean, I'm really hoping because there seems to, I, I don't know if you felt this way, but it seems to me like 2020 has been a year of like, the scales falling from people's eyes when it comes to Facebook. Like, we've all been knowing that it's kind of dodgy and shifty for a while, but 2020, everyone seems to suddenly be like, oh, this is actually bad. Like, this is a bad platform with some unscrupulous stuff going on. So I'm kind of hoping that we can... Honestly, I just want to bring back message boards and, like, IRC. Oh, that would make me very happy. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't, yeah, wasn't... Those days were simpler. I mean... These days, like, we all knew that there was a sex island, but now we have, like, drone footage of it. That's just a whole level of reality we weren't prepared for. I don't need that in in my life, you know? (laughs) I don't think I need it. Yeah. I like like eating pizza. I just didn't want to know what it actually was code for. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we're not, we're, are we going to go down to a, we're, we're going to go down a QAnon hole? Is, is that the plan? <laughs> oh, I actually just found out about it, like, the other day or the other week, and I spent, like, way too much time diving into it while I was dealing with the chaos on the property I'm on. Oh, my oh, mom just commented yeah. on my Facebook. See, that's why I have my Facebook, just to talk to my mom. As soon as she's moved on <laughs> into the DMT spirit realms, I will be permanently deleting my Facebook. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I heard that's studies funny. that say it makes you 10 to 20% happier if, you're fa- if you don't have a, have a Facebook at all. Who wouldn't want to be 10 to 20% happier? I mean, I certainly would. I believe that too. My partner totally. actually... Um, well, d- didn't have Facebook 
he does now, but for a long time did not have Facebook um, because it was just too. It just got in got in their head too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and didn't have it. Wouldn't do Instagram. Doesn't really do Twitter or anything. I don't know. It's hard to gauge if there was a ten to twenty percent happier ratio going on, but certainly it seemed to mitigate some stress. And, and now he <laughs> now he can keep an eye on you. Well, yeah, or, uh, or or just sort of like roll roll his eyes when I put something silly at like one in the morning when I can't sleep. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's 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 get let's let's drive right into this, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. I love that turn of phrase you used the other day on your thing. Uh, I, I actually was always meaning to tease you about uh, your accent and joke that you should get some friends who aren't like Australian or English. But then I realized, oh, you actually were born in England and raised in Australia. So that explains a few little accent things I hear. Yeah, it comes out now and again. It's, I think it's weird, though, because I've realized, I don't, and again, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in magical circles... It seems like people adopt English accents, like, deliberately to seem, I don't know, to seem more scholarly. I'm not really sure what the logic is, but I've just, like, you know, it's not just any one person, but a couple of people that I know who are in that occult realm. I've sort of said to them, oh, were you, like, you know, did you grow up in England or did you go to school there? And usually they kind of sheepishly say to me, no, <laughs> this is just, I'm just kind of affecting it for whatever reason. But no, for me, this is just my weird janky accent. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah I don't know what you're talking about at all. <laughs> so there, but you're, you've got the Canuck thing going on, right? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about, eh? <laughs> Fucking hoser. Let, let's talk about real stuff, like uh, what's this, uh, you know, this neuromancy thing you got going <laughs> you're, you're dropping a course on neuromancy. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, and, well, a neuromancy, yeah, like dream dream stuff um, is the plan. It's I say I'm dropping it. You know, I've been seeding it on social media for a while, which really is just me spinning my wheels a little bit and trying to like put it out in the universe that I'm doing it, yeah. so I can't wriggle out of not doing it. <laughs> There's that um, accent. I heard the count. Cunt. Yeah, Cunt. it's the hard A's. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's the plan. It's it's a big part of my personal work, and it always has been. And I was tossing around ideas, you know, what kind of course did I want to put together? I knew I wanted to put something out in the world that was more sort of educational. Um, to be perfectly blunt with you, not just because I think education is great and important, but because it's a lot easier to sell someone a course or to sell 50 people a course than it is for me to like do a million readings a week. <laughs> so financially it makes sense. But, um, it seems wanna, to be working. Do, yeah, exactly. Like I didn't Sabrina's do, having a lot of success with hers. Well, and that's the thing. And Sabrina and I are friends and, um, you know, I definitely credit Sabrina with kind of getting me onto this way of thinking. And we were brainstorming a lot and, um, I didn't want to do just another tarot course. I might at some point in the future, but I couldn't think of a way to do that with, that was sufficiently unique or different from the very wonderful things that other people are putting out. So I wanted to do something that was a little bit um, more niche, I guess. Yeah. And and yeah, that's that's my area. Well, sort I of think that's interest great. Expertise, yeah. I was just telling um, Jason Augustus Newcomb about your course. Um, he's he's sort of the pioneer of online magical courses. I just did his Enochian Magic Masterclass. 
Um, yeah, what, what's that? What's that person's website? Because the name is familiar. He has new like, hermetics, new hermetics, oh, and uh, yeah. also Jason Augustus Newcomb. He he's like so much amazing stuff for ritual magic and Golden Dawn and all that stuff. Inakian, uh, Goethe, uh, Solomon. He's got he's got just his 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 merchandise store is fabulous. He produced a chess set for uh, Inakian. Egyptian oh, Rosicrucian chest with a great commercial oh, with his kids in it. It's hilarious and, and really awesome. good stuff. And and uh, I've always had a feeling like he was uh, doing that I'd get along with his style and approach. And after doing seeing his course with uh, Stenwake and Aaron Leach, who are, again, uh, good representatives of the uh, magical traditions, it was great because uh, the Enochian course focuses on three different styles of Anakia magic, none of which are the one that I was trained in. So that's wonderful. So it's like, uh, because I didn't need to learn the Golden Dawn system, but learning, Mm -hmm. learning traditional and learning two uh, uh, eclectic forms was just such a great opportunity. And he's just been pioneering these online courses and stuff for so long. It's a, and he actually reached out to say, Hey, are you free to do, uh, do our podcast? tonight at eight right after we finish ours i was like <laughs> giddy up let's do it <laughs> yeah you're in you're in for a long night of that's all right you, you know get your tea, tea ready when and, i'm not uh, having the shit kicked out of me by my autoimmune diseases i like to work like a dog because sometimes they just rear their ugly heads and and i'm i'm next i feel like i'm gonna die for weeks yeah i think you and i maybe have have briefly talked about that you know just behind the scenes um on on the internet but um i'm in the same boat kind of um different different boat to you but similar and and i'm the same you know i like to really bust my ass when i know i have the energy to do it because yeah. i don't know what tomorrow is gonna look like yeah. so yeah do it today you know for sure so so let's i want to know more about um uh lucid dreaming and uh, I, I for me the three things that i've always been consider unexplored especially by science that are most interesting are dreams uh deja vu and intuition yeah absolutely i agree like what Um, the fuck what is up with those things and why the hell has science not spent a bit more time investigating it outside things like mk ultra or whatever right and you know and why is there why does there not seem to be even any curiosity? Like I, when I, I like to make sure that the things that I'm putting out into the world have at least a little bit of a scholarly backbone. You know, I don't want to be putting out a course that's just fluff. So much work out there on lucid dreaming without wanting to point fingers or name names, but so much of it is fluff and there's nothing of you know substance there really. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you pick up a dream dictionary from Barnes and Noble and it's all just a bunch of fucking hokum it's hokum so trying to find studies and trying to find work that does have a scientific backbone around those subjects is hard because it kind of feels like science looked into it a little bit and then said oh well we'll figure it out now uh let's let's just leave it there you know it's your it's your brain defragging the hard drive uh you're processing memories we kind of know what's going on there but but we're not really that interested to probe any deeper and i find that disheartening and surprising yeah i don't know much I, um, about those fields i'm uh dreaming is uh i had a dream diary when i was young and all the dreams that i seem to really remember uh turned out to be pretty much completely prophetic which was shocking huh. to me as a young teenager um, that's interesting um actually it's interesting looking at your biography you and i are quite similar we both 
got our first tarot decks in the 90s at the age mm-hmm. of 13 and started professionally reading. So that's a, that's mm-hmm. an interesting thing. Um, yeah, and you have, a, you have a philosophy degree as well, right? I know you have a PhD in theology, in theology studies. No, no theology. I, have a, I have a master's of divinity. Ah, damn. I know. That's when I looked at all the degrees I got, I was like, that title looks like the best one for a wizard. So let's, <laughs> let's rock and roll. Yeah, I love that. That's and amazing. no, I, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I didn't finish my PhD because I decided to tour full time five years with a Celtic band. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I, I went from not playing any instruments to playing professionally overnight. And, uh, that just seemed like the right move after, you know, 15 years of full time you know, being rock star academic type prodigy kid, it was overwhelming. It was too much. It was too much. I needed a break. I needed to learn how to drink and smoke weed and swear. (laughs) Like when I was first playing in Ireland, the musicians, they would always be like, no, you know, you don't really look like a musician at all. I'd be like, what do you mean? They'd be like, well, you don't, you don't look like you should be playing music. I'm like, but I I am playing music. Like, exactly. (laughs) Fix it. Drink something. I also <laughs> discovered that be- I didn't smoke any weed. I never did drugs until I was like late twenties, uh, and uh, I didn't. I discovered that they hand out all the gigs on the Aran Islands while they're smoking their uh, their joint during the break. So I was like, oh, if you don't join the the join the joint circle, you don't get any gigs. So next thing I know, I'm smoking what the Irish consider to be a joint, which is basically two or three molecule fragments of grass. And a ton of tobacco because we oh, is so expensive oh. there. They pay like a hundred oh. bucks Canadian for an eighth. Oh my god! Oh, it's no criminal. <laughs> yeah, no, I- Ireland. Ireland needs to get its weed situation sorted out. I have a friend actually there now who grows weed, and uh, maybe he's helping the the situation. He had that famous guy go. from Canada come over and, and show him what's what. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's actually similar. Uh, I feel like we keep we keep zigzagging, but I'm okay with that. But it's, it's a similar situation in Australia, I think, because we're so uh, isolated. And so our borders are really tightly controlled. Uh, everything that comes into port is, is aggressively analyzed and, and uh, looked at. And so we drugs were hard to come by when I was a teenager. You know, you couldn't really find anything decent and uh whatever i was smoking that was allegedly weed was probably just you know lettuce that someone had dried in the sun uh pretty bad oh that's hilarious yeah i I was at last year i was in uh paris and me and some guys from the hostel uh that i i was i was trapped in paris actually for almost a month um yeah my my bank accounts got hacked so i couldn't leave (laughs) oh god Uh, i know i know that's that's the price we pay for our uh our visibility online, I think. Um, yeah, and, uh, I was going to say, like, what is what is happening so, here? So we <laughs> went. So we went down uh, the street in the Montmartre district, and next to the Moulin Rouge, we uh, pooled uh, some cash and bought a bag of what turned out to be broccoli. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> how was how was that I mean, broccoli? we smoked how it did, anyway. Of course, of course, we smoked <laughs> it anyway. Um, <laughs> Delicious. Probably mm. very good for you. You know, lots of vitamins. Yeah, I just threw in some uh, some oregano and yeah, smoked it right up. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so, actually, I've been on the on the topic of dreams. I've actually been smoking um, mugwort more frequently oh, now. No way. I used to put that in my incenses as a kid all the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why mm-hmm. I had these prophetic, powerful dreams. Very, very possible. Mugwort. Mugwort is amazing. Actually, uh, so I had. 
I, I grow it in my garden. So I had some dried stuff that I was just, you know, shoving in a pipe very uh, inexpertly. But there's this wonderful woman on Instagram, uh, where all the witches are these days, apparently, called uh, God. I think her name is, I'm going to have to look it up now because I don't want to get it wrong. I think it's the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Witch. I'm going to look. Cause shout I'm out, to be shout wrong. out. I want to give this person a shout out, but um, she has this amazing smoking blend that is a, a mix of mugwort and other stuff, and it's it's incredible. I've been trying to kind of road test products that allegedly help you lucid dream because you know I want to I want to give people some insight into that, and uh, and she her stuff is is great, and now I can't find her, which is very frustrating. <laughs> Where is she? I know it's got Brooklyn in the name. But yeah, no, uh, that's something that people seem to be looking into a lot is, you know, how can we kind of fast track the lucid dreaming process? Can we take a tincture? Can we, you know, smoke something? Anything anything to not do regular habitual practices, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I find that um, understandable, but I think also like, I mean, just lazy, basically. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. It's not even, it's not Brooklyn. See, I don't know anything about New York. This is my problem. Her name is Bronx Witch. So B-R-O-N-X Witch. Isn't Bronx um, and the Brooklyn the same thing? I mean, who knows, man? I've been to New York like two times. We're just trying to piss off some New Yorkers right now, I figure. Or, <laughs> I know. know the 10 of them that are left. How dare you not know where things are? But yes, Allie Kravitz, um, Bronx Witch, her smoking ones are actually really good. And I've tried a lot of products and some of them are not. But her shit is, is awesome. Hmm. Yeah. So I did notice, uh, I'm, I'm a, what's called an occasional pot smoker. So I'll, I'll take like two <laughs> hits and be ripped and I, I only do it in the evening cause I can't function otherwise. And it, yeah. I don't remember my dreams hardly ever. So that is, it's a thing. Um, and I think you probably saw that I have a video on Instagram TV that yeah. covers that. And one of the requirements of my course actually, well, as far as you can as far as you can make it a requirement, but one of my very extreme suggestions, <laughs> firm suggestions, is going to be that people who take the course abstain from alcohol and particularly marijuana during the course of the course, because it does inhibit your capacity to at least recall dreams. I mean, never, you're always dreaming. People who say, you know, yeah, you just don't I don't dream. Yeah, it's that's you. Yes, you do. Otherwise, you would be dead. Yeah, <laughs> your right? body needs to do that. Well, so. But, the- November November 2018, I I went to Berlin to lecture at a culture conference and the first month there I had no hookups. So, and, uh, and the first 30 days I had basically from the time I went to sleep to the time I woke up, it was one psychedelic nonstop crazy dream every single night. It was overwhelming and I researched it and it says when you stop smoking weed, your brain has to catch up actually on all the dreams that you missed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I was actually about to about to ask whether you thought that was what was going on because um, apparently yeah, I mean, there's I, studies again, that, I, that show that 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 is the case. And I, I wish I knew more about that scientifically, and I wish there was more available, yeah. and particularly like easily accessible I don't to the think layperson. It's studied much. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the question is why? Or really, if we could go down the QAnon hole now, and we could say, is it not being studied, or is it being studied and we're not hearing about it? Which is isn't the other so 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 maybe we can because I thought QAnon was all about like pedophilia. It is. Oh, I mean, okay, okay. But, you so know, I have they, that right. 
I'm lumping them into the into the. I'm gonna the QAnon's gonna come for me now, but I'm I'm lumping them into the wider conspiracy theorist, uh, you know, whole. I think, and you know, I'm not anti conspiracy theories entirely. Well, they I'm make very, more I'm sense than the reality we're in right now, don't they? I mean, really, and and I I find it fascinating. You know, I I'm one of these people, and perhaps this is linked to my interest in dreams and the subconscious, but. I mean, for heaven's sake, I'm a professional witch. I do think that seeing where people are at with their experience of reality is very interesting. And if their experience of reality includes these very lurid, very paranoid, um, I don't even want, I don't want to call them delusions. I don't want to call them fantasies, you know, paranoid perspectives. I'm still intrigued by that. I want to know what makes people believe that. I want to know, you know, how they formed that worldview. I think it's psychologically, if nothing else, really, really fascinating. And there, there is some truth in some of this stuff, you know. A lot, of, a lot of them are true. There's like m- many of them have come been proven true, right? They were right. They were only conspiracies until they were proven, and now with all the stuff we've seen happen in the last year, it's like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and, and you look, look at things like MK Ultra, you know, which at, at one point just seemed like this overblown paranoid delusion um, of, of crazy people and, you know, people who had been dismissed from their roles in the military and, oh, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. They're crazy. Yeah. And then, of course, it turns out, huh, actually... I really want truth to read... Is, truth is stranger than fiction. You know? I really want to read that book, Chaos, that just came out on how Manson was put through... Uh, MK Ultra. I haven't heard of that book, but I have heard that theory. Um, it, yeah, I it's, it's the documents were are declassified. They're they're out there. Mm. Yeah, and was, I'm gonna have to look into oh, that. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, you know, Rogan interviewed the author, and it's just it's just intense. Yeah, and you know, this is I because I listened to your podcast with Sabrina, as you know, and I know that y'all y'all kind of kicked off, I think, talking about Joe Rogan a little bit and and spitballing about him. Yeah. And I kind of have a similar feeling about Joe Rogan that I suspect you do, which is his I don't know that his politics align with my politics all of the time, but I do respect the fact that he's open to listening. And he's open to sort of having these conversations that do get a little you know, crazy and a little far out, but he's willing to sit down and sort of and, and engage these people in debate. Uh, for better or worse, you know, I, I think that that's important. Uh, I'm not a big. I, I've, I've evolved a lot <laughs> over the course of my adult life, but I don't think we should uh, entirely deplatform someone just because they believe something a little bit outrageous. You know, maybe we don't hand them the keys to the city and let them do whatever they want, but um, I think that there's room to listen and and dissect and, and argue and debate. But, but you know, I have a philosophy degree, so I would say that. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, yeah, we, we have that in common. And uh, I like his point that um, – well, I, I like that he platforms people that are that are banned. I've been – I'm shadow banned on most platforms. That's – you probably noticed huh. my Instagrams, like ones at 7,000, ones at like 1,700. They've been the same for three years now. Interesting. No matter – it doesn't matter what I do. It will not go up. People are taken off them all the time completely. My Facebook shadow band, like I have, I had like 3000 followers on people, friends on Facebook and I would make a mm-hmm. post and get one like from my mom. 
you yeah, can still see my wall is still like that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's shadow banning, whatever. I, I don't really care because I, I don't really put much stock in that shit. Adults use emails and phone calls, and I've always believed that, and I'm from that generation. So it's like, if you want to actually talk to me, fucking call me. All you have to do to get my number is type in <laughs> type in my name and sell, and you will get my number online. People say to right. me, how can you let people just get your number? I'm like, because I do business. And they're like, but then they can just call you. I'm like, yeah, that's called being professional, man. Right, it's a phone. <laughs> that's how adults do it. <laughs> You know, yeah. Um, See, I, I, I will say I'm a little different than you in that regard, and it could be generational or it could just be that I uh, am an anxious person, but uh, I do hate the phone, typically. I've learned to hate it less because mm. now I have this job that requires me to talk to people. <laughs> so, you know, you can't really get around that. I tried to get around it for a while. I tried to just offer text-based tarot readings and intuitive readings to people, but... um it became very apparent that I was eventually just have to going to have to confront the shadow of speaking to people face to face or phone to phone. Yeah. So I'm better at it now. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a challenge for uh, I guess the younger generations to figure that out. Um, everyone, we all have our challenges. They're going to have to figure out how to communicate properly or effectively at some point. But also, communication changes, as you know, from <laughs> studying philosophy. Things change. My background's in linguistics and philology, so oh, I'm wow. very comfortable with the reality that language and communication changes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think you, you know, you bring up an interesting point about Facebook and shadow banning. I do wonder whether this is the moment that we we should, particularly younger generations, get used to the fact that this is not a guaranteed permanent thing that's always going to be there. Uh, it could get taken away. You could lose it. You could get banned. Uh, it could just become politically or socially untenable, unsafe to have, you know, yourself on that platform. And we need to uh, we need to get more flexible about that because we don't know. Uh, I mean, I think the pandemic the pandemic has taught me certainly that nothing is guaranteed. Yeah. We truly do yeah. not know what next month is going to look like, let alone a couple of years' time. So. You're talking to someone who's literally locked out of their own country. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I can't get support from this government, nor Canada, nor am I allowed to work anymore. I'm just stuck. <laughs> I'm going to eventually get home one day and just probably have to go bankrupt from all the debt I've accrued. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was no. going to say, like, how do you, um, you know, how do you make that work on, on just, like, a, a practical level, you know? Thanks for asking. There's a donation button on my website, <laughs> hermeticspiritualdirection.com. Feel free to go. use it, everybody. <laughs> Every fucking penny helps. Oh, my God. Um, but, but no, like, I, I get, I, I've often yeah. lived off book royalties, but I've also lived off uh, doing odd gigs. Like, when the pandemic yeah. hit, I lost... Uh, almost $2,000 in March in just gigs because people oh pay me, gosh. I get paid premium for playing music and, and that's okay. also really therapeutic for me. So to not have mm -hmm. that as an option is uh, pretty devastating. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, uh, that's scary, isn't it? I was thinking about that this morning. I was um, looking forward to gigging at Bohemian Grove. Right. You know, I getting was, a two for one we, sale we, on we adrenochrome. It, we bring it full circle with the conspiracy theories, you know, um, have you seen, because you know, you talked about Joe Rogan, have you seen that uh, video clip of, it's not Joe Rogan, I, the link in my brain happened because Joe Rogan interviewed, um, oh my God, why, John Ronson. And John Ronson 
many years ago, broke into Bohemian Grove. With, well, didn't like, he do that with Alex Jones? Yes, yeah. exactly. And, yeah. and I watched that video and I was like, this is bananas. You know, this is just like the most bonkers thing. Yeah, they're actually, um, so I was just driving uh, just now in, in one of our, uh, my coworkers, or, well, quote unquote coworkers, uh, when she just took me on a drive in her convertible around wine country. And uh, nice. I was like, we should go to Bohemian Grove. She's like, they're shut down right now for the courses. I'm like, the courses? You mean like the thing? <laughs> the government courses? She's like, yep. I'm like, holy shit. I could go <laughs> sneak down there. This is the time. Said. I should call that's up Fratter Not and, and Fratter C, who have been on this podcast uh, and who are locals, San Francisco and and, and uh, Sebastopol. We should totally do a road trip and sneak in and do a revised thing with better video quality cameras and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, like, when you hear that they're shut down for courses, that's funny. It's, you know, they really that time need of to break in. They're doing that yeah. shit right now. That's crazy. More yeah, see luck. that, and that's a conspiracy theory I can legitimately get behind because you can't tell me that the the highly ritualized practice that they have that goes on inside Bohemian Grove is not in some way a cult. I'm not saying it's satanic. I'm not saying it's like Luciferian, but something is happening there that is ritualized, and I think it's it's beyond just hey, we're some rich bros getting together to like burn an effigy. Like something's happening there. On an energetic level. The truth yeah, is, it's just a pizza party, girl. <laughs> oh, shit. That's dark. <laughs> That's dark. It's dark. It's dark. I tried to tell my mom about it, and she's like, I need to go now. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom's like, I don't want to live in that world. Don't, uh, she, make, me, don't make me think about it. She's 71 and has cancer. She's she's done. She's she's game over. Yeah, mom's 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 had enough. She didn't need that. <laughs> yeah, she also like you know raised us as a part of Maharishi's movement, right? Like I grew up in the Maharishi world. I never knew. The, I didn't grow up knowing what the Bible was. I grew up. We read the Bhagavad Gita. We were Ayurvedic, all that stuff. You know, mandatory two hours huh. of meditation every day from my whole life. How do you feel like that um, shaped you spiritually? Because that's that's such a a different perspective than, than most people, you know, from the West? Well, it was, oh, that's a question. <laughs> it, it, the the, you know, the some, interviewer becomes the interviewee. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, uh, I think, um, that determinism has more weight in, in our lives than we'd like to think, because mm -hmm. when I objectively look back on my childhood and then look at my life as it's been since, I can see these uh, developments where it's like, well, of course that's how I had to go. That there's no other option for me, you know. Mm. Like you know, my mom when I was twelve, thirteen was enrolling me in in psychism classes and all these all these occult classes and stuff, energy healing, clairvoyance, all that stuff. I took it for granted. It was very weird for me when I found out that other people didn't do that stuff. <laughs> Plus, I was in Waldorf school the whole time, so our teachers were, like, you know, grade 10, we had a class on astral travel. Oh, that's so cool. No, that's so not part dark. of the curriculum for anyone wondering if Waldorfs are all freaks. <laughs> it's only, you know, say, if a teacher a, wants to teach you something. The teacher had was our art teacher. We were doing art history. She had just told us about the time she met Elvis and did LSD. And then she said, astral <laughs> travel is a real thing. Let's do an exercise. Everyone closed their eyes. And that was the next two hours. Oh, that's so cool. And stuff See, like I, that. I always wanted that. You know, I was, um, I had a very, a very different well, a very normal, I guess, but also very different from that upbringing. 
And my mom had thrown around a few times when I was young, because it was obviously apparent from a young age that I was weird as fuck. And, um, uh-huh. you know, she had said, you know, maybe we should put you in like a Quaker school. Maybe we should put you in like a Waldorf school or something a little bit more sort of outside of the norm. But no, no, no. Just threw me into uh, Anglican school, not even Catholic, just just the real run of the mill white bread. That's what I was trained as. Christian. <laughs> I, I went to a, I was trained as an Anglican priest in seminary. Interesting. Yeah. I, I started I Roman say, Catholic, but then I, 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 I bailed on that shit. I have to say, I don't, I don't hate the Anglicans. You know, there's something to be <laughs> said for, for a brand of Christianity that's just very sort of chill. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, whatever. We're, we're not going to fuss. We're not going to have all these, like, insane, crazy rules. We're, we're going to be a little bit more flexible. It, it could have been worse. I think, but uh, they, were, they weren't a fan of my pentagram necklace, I can tell you that. I know, but, you know, that. that's their problem because if you had, like, if you had known more, you could have been, didn't you realize this was a symbol for Jesus before the cross was? Exactly. If only I had known at the, t- at the tender age of 13 uh, to be that sassy. Well, but that's why Christians need to study their own tradition more, right? Instead of thinking, like, there's no mysticism in Christianity, there's no spiritual practice, I need to become a Buddhist, they should actually maybe read some St. John of the Cross or some Meister Eckhart and stuff mm-hmm. like that. There's lots of mystical practices. They just were, uh, you know, banned and redacted from Christian Roman Catholic life, especially in you know, speaking in tongues is not some evangelical thing. That's that's as old as it gets. I mean, that's barbarous names of evocation, as we call it in grimoire magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is interesting how things have, and and it seems to me, and I could be wrong. I mean, I, I need to be clear that I have only lived in in the fine nation of the United States of America for eight years, so I'm not an expert. That's not long, is but, it? But <laughs> it's long enough. <laughs> <laughs> So do you have uh, a, do you have a citizenship here or elsewhere? I don't. Um, so I have a Eng- English citizenship because that's where I was born. Um, New Zealand citizenship because that's where my mother was born, and uh, Australian citizenship because I naturalized as a teenager. So so you're a flight risk as well. Commonwealth Commonwealth nations love me, and uh, the United States does not. So I'm no longer on a, a visa, which is nice. I do have a green card. But what they don't tell you about the green card is that you still are not entitled to a lot of the benefits that citizens are entitled to. So I can't vote. I can't get Medicaid. I still pay taxes, which is really delightful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People people should totally pay taxes without medical care. Yeah, it's awesome. That makes perfect sense. I thought I had it for a second uh, because, you know, (laughs) this is the other other thing about uh, the American healthcare system. You have healthcare, not. (laughs) Well, you know, they told me at the the local community clinic, they were like, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. You can get it with a green card. And I was like, sweet, awesome. I can see a doctor for the first time in like seven years. And um, shortly thereafter, two or three months, I got a letter in the mail saying, whoops, sorry, no, we were wrong. Uh, You can't. Uh, come back and see us in you know, three more years when you've had your green card for X amount of time or when you get married to a citizen or whatever else. So, yeah, it's, it's all, it's a hustle. This country, this country is a scam. <laughs> but, uh, um, I do, okay. I do love America, I must say. I, I'm, I'm not going to go live in Canada again. Actually, the only reason I have to go back to Canada is because since I've been gone, all my stuff's in a, in, in a room in Rochester, England. Um, but oh. since I've been away, since I've been here... Brexit happened. Oops. Oh, so now I have yeah. to reapply for my ancestry status, and I have to do that from Canada. 
Oh my goodness. But that what makes it convenient pain. because I'm going to go do time at Soma Institute and prep the first initiation for Yeats's Celtic Mysteries that's happening there next June. So it does work out. Plus, I get to spend some time with my mom while she's still incarnated. So it works out. Yeah, yeah. Where, where in Canada is your mom at? Where Vancouver. She Vancouver. So, yeah, okay, all nice. Stuff, yeah, nice. Yeah. Which I've is, actually never been to Canada, and Sabrina actually keeps telling me that I, I need to just move and, like, jump ship <laughs> away from the, the floundering United States of America. I don't think Canada will take me at this point. That but, actually uh, we'll leads into – well, you know, I can get you into Canada, no problem. I know exactly who to talk to. <laughs> yeah. just, just, just go up to Trudeau's house, put on some blackface, and be like, yo, dude, I'm one of you. Oh, my God. He'll be like, I like your face. <laughs> I do it all the time because it is so much fun. Oh, yeah. my God. I know. Everything he literally can't remember how many times he's done it because it's so much fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Quebecois are a strange race, but I do love them. Every, and they definitely know how to have fun with their bodies. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I don't know. I think um, the healthcare question for me as, as someone who also has immune system issues and chronic health issues, I just – Realistically, looking at the United States, as much as I love New Orleans, which is where I'm based, I mean, there's absolutely nowhere like it on Earth. Yeah, I want to talk but, about that. Actually, that's I'm glad you mentioned that because that's really yeah. – I'd love to get into the magical world of New Orleans. And you, I think, have a, you, a, a strong perspective of that because you worked at a as a staff psychic at a place called Bottom of the Cup Tea Room. I did. Yeah, let's let's bring them up. And let's talk. This. Well, <laughs> let's talk some shit. Not I kidding. think people would love to know what it's like because we all drive by the psychic shops. Mm-hmm. I think people would like to know from a, a, a rational, relatively sane human being like yourself what it's <laughs> like to be in that world professionally, like full time. I would honestly and candidly, I would never do it again, and there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, I do think that depending on where you go, you can see people who are genuinely gifted. And as much as I don't have the, the best things to say about my former place of employment, uh, many of the many of the people working there are very legit, extremely good at what they do, you know, genuinely talented individuals. But it's kind of like the the meat packing plant of, of psychics, right? Because you're in there Everything is profit-based because, you know, capitalism is, is this awful yoke that we all must work under. And the people who run most of these shops, not all, but many of them, are not necessarily themselves gifted, talented, um, you know, practitioners, anything like that. They really just want to make their money. So there's legit so they get, charlatans there? You know, I, I think there were definitely some people when I worked at that, at that spot who were not um, – I, it's, I struggle with the word psychic, but who were not necessarily, you know, gifted intuitively. They had other skill sets. They were, you know, amazing and phenomenal actors, but they weren't necessarily, you know, psychically gifted. <laughs> Some people were. Uh, <laughs> I have to be diplomatic. You know? um, and, and that's the thing. You, you know this, and I know this, and probably most of your listeners know this. You can read someone without having any kind of, um, you know, psychic ability because a lot of it is body language and a lot of it is is picking up from cues and i would argue even people who are quote unquote psychic are still using those cues when they read someone face to face you you can't Mm. not you just get used to being attuned to certain things is someone wearing a wedding ring do they look nervous 
are their eyes, you know, watering when they bring up a certain subject? All of those things play into your reading. But um, part of the reason that I didn't enjoy it as a as a business model, I mean, first of all, I'm a Capricorn rising and I'm a Leo, so I I want to be the most important. I want to be the star of the show and I want to make fucking money. I don't want to sit here and make somebody else rich. So reading, you know, 10 to 15 people a day in and out, in and out, in and out was burning me out. No doubt. Um, and it wasn't giving the people I read for a good service either. I'm not functioning at my best when I'm burned out. I'm not able to make the connection in the way that I would like to. Not, you know, being of service in the way that is important to me. And, um, you know, that particular place, you would, you, a client would pay for 30 minutes and we had we all had phones in our booths, which we would use to do phone readings, but also which were kind of intercoms to the front desk. And once, phone, like phones? twenty minutes, yeah, like little little intercom, like like old old style phones on the wall, you know. And um, at twenty minutes, your phone would ring, and and the front desk would be like, "Oh, they've been there for twenty minutes. You got to get them out." And this is someone who's paid, you know, seventy dollars, eighty dollars for for thirty minutes, and you're getting harassed you're getting bothered and interrupted by the people at the front desk saying like get them out it just it was it to me it seemed really unethical um, and unfair you know i I didn't like that at all and so i mean i wound up leaving uh in 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 typical style i don't really like quitting things so it took i was in a car accident and so i told them you know well i've been in this accident it was giving me some, uh, you know, I had to go have physiotherapy. It was giving me some physical problems and also some, like, neurological stuff. And so I told them, you know, I can't work five days a week anymore. This accident really messed me up. I got to take some time to recover. I'd like to drop down to three days. And they basically just said, no, it's five days or it's nothing. You know, you've got to be here five days a week. And, and so I said, bye. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll figure it out on my own. So, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't do it again. And, and, you know, there's a lot of places uh, like that in New Orleans, lots of witchcraft shops, lots of psychic places, and many of them are, are owned by people I know personally now who are friends, and many of them are actually really wonderful. I'm sure not everywhere is run that way. What, what but, are some of the best magical shops to go to in New Orleans? Oh, man. Um, you know, I think it really depends on what, what you're looking for, you know, what flavor of experience you're hoping to have. Um, there are some great lists right now flying around the internet. I meant to make one and, you know, my ADHD brain took over and I forgot, but, um, there are some wonderful shops that have owned by, you know, legitimate voodoo practitioners. And I think that is a major draw for a lot of people visiting New Orleans is they want that. Yeah. yeah, the voodoo and voodoo experience because it does have, uh, you know, a very strong presence here. It is a big part of the city's history, so people kind of come looking for that. And there are some wonderful shops that that deal in those things. One of my favorites is a spot called Crescent City Conjure, which is just a little bit out of the French Quarter. It's nearby, but it's not actually in that sort of densely touristy spot. You gotta you gotta venture out a little bit, but that's run by a uh, you know an initiate. And a practitioner called San Elias. His his store is fantastic. But, you know, it's, it's small, but it's just really nicely, robustly stocked. They've got readers there as well, and very knowledgeable fellow. And then um, there's like a yeah, they're they're just they're hidden away. There's a lot of tourist nonsense that you have to siphon through. 
before you get to the good spots, you know? Mm. There is a, uh, you know, a very world-renowned shop that probably does not need me to plug it on the podcast, so I don't know. I don't know that I should, but... People might be interested to know where to go. Well, that's true. Um, So there's a couple of uh, fellows who are actually Alexandrian uh, witchcraft practitioners who also have some shops here. And they, uh, they're originally from Salem, but they have a couple of stores down here in New Orleans. Uh, Hex is the name of that shop. And if you're looking for something that's a bit more sort of traditionally, you know, Wiccan, I guess you could say, you can, you can trek to there. Their stuff's pretty great. And I'm trying to think where else I like. There was some really wonderful, like, smaller botanicas uh, a couple of years ago. But a lot of those places shut down uh, for one reason or another. So it's, it's sort of, it's harder to find the really... The really good legitimate stuff now. Huh. A lot of lot of lot of touristy stuff. But um, I also used to work at a, a wonderful little spot called Boutique du Vampire. And I, I was listening to you talking <laughs> to Sabrina about your your prosthetic vampire fans. Oh God! <laughs> you had to bring that up. Well, I mean, we got to bring it up. Uh, this this shop that I used to work at, the boutique, uh, actually has a resident fangsmith who can make yeah. those prosthetic fangs. Yeah, for mine you. were made by an ex dentist, like professionally. And that's how you really want them. You want them good quality ones. Exactly. Yeah, this this guy is definitely not a dentist, but um, they are you know made from dental acrylic and they pop in and pop out, and they're they're uh, they're legit. You know, so we have we have a thriving vampire community down here. A real real quote unquote sanguinarian vampire community that's that's big in New Orleans too. Yeah. Which is uh you know, I know those people but I'm not those people, if that makes sense. Right. right. <laughs> I know them but I'm not off them. Yeah, but, some uh, people uh, really do the blood drinking and all that. Yeah, it's um you know we will no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to be so well behaved that I just want to be sassy. Be sassy. No, I was going to say we've all been 15, you know, <laughs> so we've all been there. We've, who hasn't drunk a little bit of blood? Uh, uh, at the <laughs> I don't think I've drunk any blood. I use blood frequently in rituals, but that's something else. Well, you know, go the extra mile, man. You Drink f- it. Find the, fa- find the fangs again and just dive on in. I mean, I don't do that. I don't do that, that stuff anymore. Uh, that was a, a time and a place in my life. I was... Um, I don't want to say I was raised in a cult. That's well, I mean, Christianity is kind of a cult, but um, it's totally a cult. But yeah, <laughs> so maybe I was. But uh, no, I was part of a cult when I was a teenager, oh, and really? it was a yeah. This is a banana story. Oh yay! And yeah, this is this is the real meat. Actually, my followers have been asking me forever to expound upon this, and I haven't. So maybe they'll just have to listen to this podcast. I am episode. all ears. They can get the tea. Yeah. So um, I grew up in the 90s and, and the early 2000s, so I'm, I'm about to be 34, so I'm a little little younger than you, but not I by thought, a lot. I thought you were much younger, and then I saw the 90s and mm-hmm. tarot at 13, I was like, oh shit. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's it's vampire blood has kept me young. <laughs> God bless it, Unicrome. Uh, so, I grew up on the internet, you know, I, I was probably, I think, you know, my generation is, is the first generation that really grew up. With it. With a computer in the home, you know, yeah. with the internet, before our parents knew what the hell was going on. So we were all locked away in our rooms with the modem, you know, kicking your mom off the phone so you could talk to some 
pedophile in France or whatever. Oh, God. <laughs> crazy shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> someone, play, someone claiming to be a 14-year-old female from oh, California man. was not. <laughs> yeah. I made, I made my mom get internet when I was 16 so that I could be in touch with the Golden Dawn Order around the world that I was studying in. See, that's awesome. That's an excellent use for the internet at, at 16 years old, I think. Very noble pursuit there, you know? It was. And that was, it was a good time. But I think, you know, the, the way that I got sucked into this cult sort of, sort of speaks to that in a way. You know, I wasn't smart enough, uh, studied enough at 13, 14 to know what I was really looking for. I just knew that I was looking for something. I knew that I had had some, some pretty weird experiences, you know, magically and spiritually. I didn't have an outlet or a channel for any of that stuff particularly. I grew up in a very, very isolated part of the world. Um, I grew up in Perth, Western Australia, which is literally statistically the most isolated city in the world. Wow. Perth is, Perth is closer to a city in Indonesia. It's closer to Bali than it is anywhere else in Australia. So it's very, very isolated. In the 90s, you know, you, you there was no alternative community that I could access at 14. There was no magical community that I could access, it, all of these things. So I got the Internet, and, of course, like, you know, away I went. I was Googling all sorts of weird shit, trying to find, <laughs> trying to find anybody who could vaguely empathize with, with what I was going through and explain some things to me. Yeah. And, and what I came across was an internet forum run by people who allegedly were vampires, which even at the tender age of, of 14, you know, 14-year-olds are not idiots. Uh, that was not, when I read interview. Right. Well, <laughs> strap in. We're about to go there. <laughs> so, I'm on board. I'm on board. Oh, Let's oh, drive right so, in. <laughs> so... I, too, had, uh, you know, fallen down the Anne Rice rabbit hole. And, you know, I don't know that I was specifically looking for vampires on the Internet. I think I was just looking for anything that anything that was beyond the, the reality that I experienced at the time, which was boring. And, you know, my home life wasn't great. And I was, you know, pretty fucking depressed. My father had died when I was 12. And I was going through all these, you know, Jeez. very expansive spiritual experiences, but also really difficult psychological experiences. And so I was looking for something, just something that would give me a sense that the world was bigger or more mysterious or not just this, you know, incredibly depressing and limiting reality that I saw sort of playing out in front of me. And I found this internet forum that claimed to be run by vampires. And even at 14, my reaction to that was, you know, aha, uh -huh, okay. You know, I, I knew what role-playing was. I was a big fan of Dungeons and Dragons. Like, this was not new oh, to no me. Oh, no kidding. I, I was skeptical. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I that, that was my jam. I was actually yeah, part of the playtesting group in Vancouver from uh, via our White Wolf Seattle friends who were who gave us the playtesting rules for the first run of, of Mind's Eye Theater Masquerade. No way. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, so I was yeah. I was getting to do that with the guys who wrote the books. Ah, oh, that's awesome. That's why yeah, I so needed I was, the fangs. I, well, of course. That makes yeah. perfect sense now. See, you had you had a purpose for those fangs. I was just mentally ill. Oh yeah, you no, I was I was game. deep I got dove deep into improv acting and that just that just drove me straight. And next thing you know, in high school, I started a drama society and realized since I was in charge, we could do whatever I wanted. So all we did for the next three years was put on plays by Yates. Ah, so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The popular That's kids were like, who's WB Yates? I'm like, shut up and read your lines. 
<laughs> we're doing the goddamn play. Yeah, exactly. No, so, I mean, I, that's sort of, our paths were similar, I would say, and mine just went in a very strange direction. I would I would have been much better off performing plays by Yates, but unfortunately, instead, I wound up on this internet forum. And, um, Same thing at the end of the day, right? Vampires, Yeah, you Yates. know. Yates well, would have been on that forum, I bet you, if he was alive when you were. Well, this is the funny thing because there, you know you and I you and I have talked about Yates a little bit, and there is a Yates connection there because in the beginning of one of Anne Rice's novels, she actually quotes Sailing to Byzantium." No, she does. Yeah, she does. I think it's Tale of the Body Thief. In the very beginning, she has a little epigraph, and it's Sailing to Byzantium. And that may have been, I mean, I think I had encountered Yeats's work before that, um, you know, in, in books of Irish mythology and, mm. and verse collections and things like that. But that was the first time that I remembered encountering a Yeats poem that just, like, absolutely slammed me in the gut. Like, I was like, oh, fuck, this, this is some shit that is, you know, impacting me on a really... I, I don't know if I can even put it into words. There's something vibrational going on there for me, like with this specific poem. And so I find myself on this forum. These people are making these claims. And I, I have questions about it, but I'm intrigued enough that I kind of stick around to find out what's going on. And it's interesting because the forum itself is not really role-playing as I understood role-playing. You know, no one is um, typing out third-person scenes. We're not writing stories together. There's no sort of, like, weird, freaky vampire sex going on. It's pretty much just a group of people talking about stuff. You know, there were conversations about politics at the time. There were conversations about philosophy, literature. And the, the theory was all the moderators were vampires, and they were claiming to be Anne Rice vampires. Mm. And the rest of us were just people. You know, I was one of the youngest people there. A lot of people were much older than me in their 30s and 40s. There were people who were doctors. There were people who were, you know, in the medical profession, people who were college professors. Like, you know, it was a really a big cross-section of, of folks. Wow. And over time, over time, you know, when you look, when you're in that environment and nothing particularly weird is going on, you're just having conversations. And so many people are older than you and they're adults and they have like real proper adult lives as a young person you start to think well wait what's really going on here like this this seems legit no one no one is shutting this down no one is stopping it from happening no one is questioning it and the longer i spent there the more the narrative on the forum was well yeah you know we are what we say we are why are you doubting you know what they had this motto which was belief is the key right? Like, you have to believe what we're telling you, and if you don't want to, like, that's your loss. But we're offering you this this kind of gnosis, this this profound peering behind the, the veil or the curtain of what the universe really is, what really exists out there in the world. And so, long story short, I was part of this group for <clears throat> God. I think I finally got out, left when I was 22, 23. So a long, long time, like nearly a decade. Um, yeah, nearly a decade of my life, I was part of this group of people. And even though it was all on the internet, we did have offline meetings. Of course, the offline meetings were never attended by the uh, quote-unquote vampires, the People who were supposedly vampires would always tell us after the fact that they had kind of been lurking in the shadows and they would 
give evidence like, you know, oh, you were wearing a pink shirt and you and you and you did this and that. But, um, you know, they were never there. They never introduced themselves. It was always behind this, this veil of anonymity. And, you know, I tell people the story now, particularly younger people, and I think they find it hard to understand how that belief became so visceral and, uh, and believable because, you know, now we have Facebook and we have YouTube and things are, there isn't really anonymity on the internet in the same way as there was in yeah. the nineties and the two thousands, the early two thousands. But, you know, back then you couldn't just say to someone, well, you know, turn your webcam on. <laughs> you know, no, I no. see your face. For Who like a you? year in the early nineties, my buddies all got together and gaslighted me and convinced me that one of our friends was Joe Pesci's son. <laughs> and they all said it independently when I asked them. So I, I just had to believe it because I was like, this seems crazy. I can't believe this, but yep. it must be true. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, right? Because I think it, it plays on, it plays on trust and it plays on group belief. I mean, as an adult, when I look back on that experience, my feeling is that there was like a creation of kind of an egregore uh, yeah. as a result of people being involved in this, because we're talking like, you know, nearly a hundred people being fed this lie, but coming to believe that it was true and, and putting a great deal of energy. I mean, you know, we would have, there was a chat room on this forum as well. And, you know, people would be in there round the clock, 24 hours a day, talking to each other, talking to the quote unquote vampires exchanging the dreams that they had had about the vampires. <laughs> um, there was this crazy situation where sometimes the, the moderators, the vampires, would appear to read our minds. We found out later that they had installed keyloggers on a lot of our computers so they could see what we were looking at online and they could see what we were typing to other people. Whoa. But, yeah, you don't know that shit when you're 14, 15 years uh, old. I didn't know either. that shit till right now. Right. <laughs> so, God. so it's um, it was a real. It, it turned sinister very quickly. It went from being this sort of fantastical, whimsical, good-natured, you know, interest board full of full of to super creepy. To, yeah, to, to to very kind of dark, and it got sort of it got very dark at the point that they started to claim that they were visiting certain members, that they were wiping memories. Oh, God. Um, I got really sick with my with what I now know to be my immune disorder when I was, uh, I guess, 18 or 19, maybe 20. Started to have really serious symptoms yeah. from my immune disorder. Yeah, that's what and, it um, for me. Fun times. You know how that is when you're like, I'm sick, and doctors are like, you're fine. <laughs> and oh, you're yeah. like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm not. <laughs> but Every specialist I saw said I would be dead by 35 at best. Oh, my God. Oof. I'm 39 here, now, motherfuckers. Put that in your pipe stand. and smoke it. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, these uh, these people who ran this forum were straight up telling me, like, there's no point in going to get blood tests. There's no point in going to see a doctor because they're not going to find anything because the reason you're sick is that you have vampire blood. Oh, and you're, Jesus. And you're, and you're dying. Like, they were straight up like you're going to die. You're never going to be able to connect with other human beings. You're never, you're never going to be able to like feel like you're part of the world. You know, this is this is your fate. This is sort of who you are. So, yeah, that fucked me up for a while. <laughs> no shit. Well, I'm glad you're still with us. Yeah. I wonder yeah. sometimes how significant it is that 
some of us who go through these intense pseudo-cultic or cultic experiences in groups survive them but hold on to the spirituality like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. how significant mm-hmm. that is for whether or not we become useful at all to the spiritual yes. world thereafter yeah i think it's intriguing right because i that that will always be a very formative experience in my life and it's really only in the past couple of years that i felt comfortable talking about it to to people candidly because you know what i don't come off well in that story i do come off like a crazy person um granted i was a literal child so maybe we can be a little forgiving but it's it's an embarrassing story it's it's not it doesn't make me look great i just realized i lied to you i did bite into my hand with my fangs and drink my blood once in grade eight to get out of my french class that happened one time, I just also, remembered that. I haven't thought of that in years. Wow, you really are—you are, are mystical. You brought back see, a memory I'm, I'm I had bringing, lost. Bringing things to the surface. Um, what was the logic there? Were you just like I've cut I myself? Fucking I fucking hated French go. class. I hated <laughs> French class. I've hated every French teacher I've ever had. They teach French in Canada in the same way they teach Irish in Ireland. It's atrocious. Mm. Just because you know a language doesn't mean you know how to teach it or teach anything whatsoever. Yeah. Now, by contrast, I speak almost fluent German. Because why? I had good teachers. And I lived in Vienna as a teenager. That would help, I would imagine. Uh, Sort of. I didn't really, (laughs) couldn't understand. I I didn't speak. It was, it, it slowly seeped into my bones and it took a long time. But, but then I had good language teachers in, in grad school, like I did a 30 day Hebrew intensive and passed the same exam. Everyone in my course passed the same exam that other students passed, failed at after two years of, of Hebrew. Wow. That's crazy. You can learn languages in short times. If you have good teachers, it's doable. And I'm naturally very bad at languages, but I'm competent in almost seven. So like you can learn it even if you suck at it like me. Um, but you've got to have good <laughs> teachers, man. You can't just have some, like, some French lady who's, like, yelling at you for not conjugating <laughs> right. I mean, come on. Yeah, I think you're right there, too. Um, you know, just because you can do something or, or speak a language or, or really do anything doesn't mean you're going to be a gifted teacher no. in that subject. <laughs> Ped- Pedagogy is a real thing. Yeah, not absolutely. Just a, not just a word that sounds like a bad word. And again, I think, you know, you and Sabrina touched on this a tiny bit because she oh, has, course. or, you know, they have an educational background and then you also do. But um, Well, all of us are uh, you know, grads, grad student, grad people, you know. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I, you know, I took a single pedagogy class, which was required when I did my master's degree. But that was definitely awesome? is my... Uh, it was interesting, for sure. It raised some things that I had... Um, really not had any occasion to think about. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and I think that's good. I think it's great that my program insisted that we did all take pedagogy before just kind of throwing us into a classroom and saying, here, have some impressionable young minds. It's good that we had to, you know, really think about how we were going to do these things, what kind of issues were likely to come up. But um, it really wasn't enough. I mean, I think one, one class pass or fail is probably not enough to prepare you to teach English 101 to um, to college students, <laughs> particularly in, in a state like Louisiana, where the education level for high school graduates is not great. Mm. So, 
you know, your mileage may vary, but um, I have a lot of respect for people who can teach effectively. This is sort of something I want to wind into the course that I'm creating is, you know, being able to really think about these things when I'm teaching, not just to create a course for the sake of, you know, I'm just going to do it because that's what everybody's doing now, but, you know, really asking myself what I can bring to the table as a teacher, you know, it's important. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I think, you know, the, the whole survived a cult thing <laughs> plays into that a little bit. You know, you said, what what is it about those of us who maybe have been through some kind of experience like that and, and how does it inform spirituality moving forward? And it was a very formative experience for me. And I think what it did, um, perhaps accidentally, but nevertheless, is it showed me it showed me how certain magical principles work. And I don't know if that was deliberate on the part of the people who ran this organization. I still don't know who they were. I've tried Weird. to track down these people to figure it out. I mean, it's, it really is a big, if anyone's listening to this and they, they want to do an investigative report and track those puffers down, please let me know. But, um, I have never discovered who they were, um, or what their motives were or what the purpose was beyond, um, messing with everybody, I guess, uh, power trip, but mm. there were some magical practices at work there. Yeah. I do think that, you know, there, the power of group consciousness is really incredible and nothing taught me that lesson more clearly and effectively than being part of that group. It's a shame it wasn't a more positive takeaway. Yeah, amen. <laughs> um, because I'm sure, you know, being involved, I mean, because you were involved in, in the Golden Dawn from a really young age, I'm sure that kind of group experience is a little bit more life-affirming. That's than, what actually uh, saved me from the cultic childhood of the Maharishi Transcendental Meditation upbringing. Really? Because, like, that upbringing was like, if you eat meat, you're bad. Homosexuals mm -hmm. are unnatural. Like, I actually, you know what broke me out of this uh, nascent belief that gays were bad? was actually going to seminary. Huh. Yeah. When I got there, it was pretty much run by, by gay people, and uh, there was a, a lot of that going on. Plus, uh, my bishops were the ones who actually were pushing through same-sex unions in the Anglican diocese, which is what caused the domino effect all across Canada, which then hit Ireland and America. So I was, That's amazing. My spiritual director was uh, the right Reverend Bishop Jim Cruikshank, who was not just a, a bishop and a priest, but also had a PhD from University of Chicago, which is no small thing, as you probably know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in Canada, we don't know much about University of Chicago, but in, in the States, when I actually first was teaching in the States, I was like, oh, that's a really good school. Yeah, it's um, a big deal. Yeah, so he was a smart guy, and he got, you know, he got put through the ringer. Bishop Michael Ingham, who was a uh, BFFs with the Dalai Lama, they really fought hard to... Uh, champion their their synods and it was their diocese it was the membership that were voting this through right it's the anglican mm -hmm. church so every bishop is like a baron prince but they're still at the whim <laughs> of their membership unlike the Roman yep. catholic church which is a top-down organization uh the slightly reformed nature of the Angl anglican church or episcopal for you you yanks is uh <laughs> is is uh has a slight reform it's catholic still in many ways but it's got a reform element of coming from the bottom up and yeah, exactly. And that's that's why I like it. You know, I mean, like I said, 
I, I was a, a little bit wounded that I didn't go to Catholic school because it just kind of seems it seems like you can claim claim more oppression if you've been to Catholic school. You know, like oh, I went to Catholic claim school. more oppression. V.S. <laughs> <laughs> Anglican school, which is like I went to you know a Christian school, but they were they were pretty okay. They kind of like they listened, and they were flexible, yeah. and that, like you said, you know, it comes from the bottom up, which is which is cool. It's cool about Anglic- Anglicanism. I like it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not anti Jesus, as I told a uh, a very angry man on Instagram today. I'm I'm chill with the Lord. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Um, despite being a fortune teller and, and you know, con- <laughs> condemned condemned by Leviticus to burn in hell, I still don't mind Jesus. He's okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, they they those American. I don't even know what you call them, you know, like these, this sort of very generic American brand of Christianity is just so It's called toxic. fundamentalism, my dear. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. One of my favorite um, authors, Slavo Žižek, he wrote, yeah, two, yeah. he wrote two books back to back, which most people don't realize. He wrote one book called The Puppet and the Dwarf, The Perverse mm-hmm. Core of Christianity. Great title, right? <laughs> and then he followed it up to the shock and awe of everyone. Oh, I, I like that I fit in shock and awe there talking to us uh, in America. Yeah, um, I know. I'm so fucking Canadian. Um, <laughs> his follow-up book was called The Fragile Absolute, or huh. Why the Christian Legacy is Worth Fighting For. How wow, on earth does one of the most serious academic thinkers of our time write those two books back-to-back? And the answer is you need to read them. They're both incredibly short and incredibly powerful. I even I designed a, a card game for a corporation once called kill the hippies <laughs> yeah it's it's now it's now it's a cult classic and it costs like a hundred bucks online i don't even own a copy but i wrote to zizek and i said can i use this quote from from fragile absolute on he's like he wrote back my dear colleague of course you can dash s and i was like Aww. over the moon fucking zizek and uh the quote is the fundamental christian legacy is far too precious to be left to the fundamentalist freaks oh i love that that's amazing. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, he also wrote, I think, uh, no, Derrida wrote a book on Paul. Anyway, I'm going to get slammed for talking about Zizek and Derrida, but whatever, I don't care. Why would you get slammed for that? See, I got I to admit to you, this is, this is a, a sad admission, but I would feel disingenuous not admitting it. Uh, despite having a philosophy degree, I got that degree. Like, God, I, when did I graduate? I graduated, I think, in 2005 from undergrad. So it's been a really long ass time since I did any serious, you know, reading, particularly contemporary philosophy. So they don't even teach that stuff in undergrad. Yes. Yeah. See, see, I'm aware. I think they've started to now with the whole social justice movement. I think they've started, Mm -hmm. I think critical theory and post-structuralism has penetrated undergraduate call uh, programs, but not in a good way and being taught by people who are co-opting methodologies of thinking for political and sociological ends. And that is not what philosophy is meant to do, right? That is not what critical thinking is about. It's not about learning how to use techniques to batter someone else to submission, right? It's been distorted since I graduated from, uh, with my MDiv in, in 2005, same year as you actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually don't have a bachelor's. I challenged mine. Oh. Yeah, fancy dancy, right? (laughs) Oh, dude, I'm I'm one of those weirdos. Like, I'm one of those. I broke almost every Canadian academic record that existed with a 4.33. Oh, 
Yeah. No, I was weird. I had no girlfriends. I didn't watch TV. I didn't play video games. I did my ritual work, and I studied. That's all I did. So no doubt I bailed halfway through my PhD to join a fucking Celtic band. Yeah, you're like a, a little aesthetic monk, just like doing your thing. <laughs> the, I love that. I, I used to sleep on a, on, a pl- on a plank of boards like a monk. See? See now I'm getting flashbacks to my ex-husband. Except my ex-husband was actually like a very, a very stupid person who just did, did those things to seem cool. So it's a little different. No, I did it because it didn't make sense to buy a mattress when uh, I didn't need one. In retrospect, it turned out it was actually good for my back, which my spine had been destroyed by my stepmom, and so it was really, uh, really good. I didn't have back pain for those years, which is I didn't realize what was the cause of that at the time. I probably chalked it up to. Uh, all the ritual work I was doing, but you know, whatever. Yeah. I've, I've heard this about sleeping on the floor. I will say, you know, I, I did sleep not on, not on a, uh, not on a wooden pallet, but I did sleep on the floor for the entire duration of my marriage because my husband at the time insisted. And, um, all I can Whoa. say about that is it might've been great for our backs, but anyone who has ever been to Louisiana, you do not want to sleep on the floor. Oh. There are things on the floor. They'll kill you. I know. You don't there's, want to be near. Dude, there's black widows around me, and people don't know why I'm so freaked out about them here. They're like, what? It's not like it's going to get you. And I'm like, well, it could. And they're like, yeah, well, exactly. you'll be okay. I'm like, couldn't it kill me? They're like, well, maybe, but probably not. I'm like, it's still a black widow. It's a little bug that I might not notice in my shoe, and it can kill me. They're like, they're, and they don't realize down here in Cali that in Canada, we don't have them. They don't exist. Right. The things that will kill you in Canada are bears. Right, and you can see a bear coming. You know, uh, you know well, one, one I woke up once here. with a bear three feet from me, so I did not see it coming. Oh, boy. And, you know, once that happens, it's literally a roll of the dice to see if you die. It's a saving throw roll. Do you, do you have bear mace? You know, I've, I've heard that bear mace, bear mace is a thing. Dude, you can shoot a bear with as many shotgun shells as you want, and it might still just flick you and you're dead. Man, I want to come back as a bear. I've said this many (laughs) times. There was this dude in Canada who got armored up and went into the forest for, to interact with bears and a bear hit. And on the way he got hit by a car and was fine. He was fine on the freeway. A car hit him when he was trudging through this. Then he encountered a bear. The bear slapped his arm and shattered his rib cage. Think about the logistics of how much force has to hit your arm to shatter your rib cage. He oh died, of course. Um, yeah, that's yeah. I feel like Dwight Schrute talking about bears. I, uh, I, I still haven't seen Grizzly Man. You know that documentary about the, uh, the bear that ate the documentary Chris, maker? Chris Bennett and his groundskeeper, when I was up at Soma Institute, played me the recording of them dying, and it was horrific. Yeah. I, but I he think slapped a bear I... in the face. Yeah, it's... Of course it's going to eat your head. People people need to... I don't know what they need to do. I think, you know, this ties back to magic in a weird way, actually. Oh, wonderful. Uh, (laughs) Our listeners will appreciate that. I've been thinking a lot about um, TikTok, which I'm sure, you know, we're all aware that... Hey, it's important to let China know what's going on here. You know, hi, China. How are you? Hi, China. Please uh, stop (laughs) killing the Uyghurs. Oh my and God. I don't mean so, white rappers. You know that TikTok. Actually, they thing should where, kill the white rappers. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, get the wiggers, not the wiggers. 
I cannot, I cannot speak. I, I used to. It's a uh, bad thing to joke about. Of, I know, but we joke about it to raise awareness white, in a strange way. There were a lot of white rappers in Australia when I was growing up. I can tell you that um, Australia is a very white country. So no, you know. really. Oh yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> very not diverse. Um, we do have a, a beautiful indigenous population that everybody's done a great job of systematically exterminating. Dude, so you know. I was talking to some people around here and. They were talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and stuff. And I was like, you know, in Canada, we have, we talk mainly, we don't really have black people much in Canada, especially in Vancouver. Um, mm-hmm. Like, we just don't. I don't, I, I, my whole childhood, I don't think I hardly ever saw a black person once. Um, mm-hmm. But I went to private school on the North Shore, which is like right. rich, rich aristocratic land. But we have for, tons of First Nations people. And I was saying to people around here, we have a First Nations issue in Canada because we are still fucking them over with all yep. our might. And it's insane. Like, we should, I, in my opinion, we should give them back half the land, half the seats in government, and be like, we're really sorry. Instead of being like, you have to rent us your, your land for the golf course for another hundred years, but we oh. are willing to pay you more than a dollar this time. And they're Jesus. like, we want a hundred million, and we're like, no, we're going to use the government to just take it. It's crazy. We're still fucking them, and and our current prime minister is fucking them harder than ever, which is insane. But the and so the Americans here, I was talking to just in Geyserville, they were saying, you know what? I don't think we see have met. I think we got rid of all of our our Native Americans. They call it here, mm-hmm. of course. And I was like, yeah, I haven't noticed many. And they're like, yeah, we killed them all. And I was like, wow, you're saying that so brazenly. But you're not saying it cruelly. You're saying it like it's sort of too bad. And they were like, yeah, it is too bad. I was like, okay, because this is – I'm in a very countryside red and blue area where right. everyone's really nice to each other because you never know where someone falls. And at the end of the day, no <laughs> one actually really cares. Like right, it's, it's, right. It's countryside NorCal. So it's it's a really interesting creature, this place I'm in. Yeah. And yeah, it's I sad I that they that – there's like – it's almost not a joke that they're all gone. Yeah. It's and I, crazy. I should say, you know, when I, when I, when I made that comment, cause I, I've realized as I get older, particularly in the moment that we're at culturally and socially right now and politically, um, I, that was said in full sarcasm. Like, yes, Australia has indeed, um, unfortunately ex- exterminated, yeah. felt effectively most of our indigenous population, Obviously, I do not think that is a good thing in any way. I've never heard um, anyone you know, say it's good that we like. I've <laughs> never heard anyone who's like, "Thank God no. we got rid of those those First Nations and, and Native Americans." Yeah. I've never heard anyone say that. I've heard exactly. people be like, "You know what's really cool is I love smudging." It's like, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cool things from First Nations culture. Why the hell did we? <coughs> yeah. Why did we exactly. do this? I, I think the Australian situation is interesting because it's, it's similar to Canada, I would say, or certainly, you know, my experience of growing up in Australia is similar to what you're describing growing up in the area of Canada you grew up in, which is to say, um, I went to a private school and there are not a lot of black people in, or certainly there weren't uh, in the 90s in that part of Australia. And I think I... We had some diversity, but it was a lot of um, Asian students, like a lot of students who had um, come to the private school from China, from Hong Kong, from certain parts of Indonesia, and and we had a Japanese student. You know, there was a lot of that kind of diversity, but I I don't think I saw a black person, really, until I was, like, in college, which is insane. And then I moved to New Orleans, and I remember pretty early on, and when I lived here, I was – 
in a McDonald's or something. And I just remember having this really intense moment where I looked around and I went, huh, I am the only white person here. And I had honestly never had that experience. And it wasn't a negative experience. It, it wasn't a positive experience. It was just an experience, but it was definitely notable. And it, it, and it hit me in a certain way, right? Because you, I, I think we don't often have those experiences. There are people all over the world, white people, who don't ever have that experience of being like, oh, fuck, I'm the minority. And um, Well, actually, in Vancouver, whites are a visual minority. Really? Yeah, we're primarily uh, Chinese. Interesting. Oh, China, so actually, China found out how to fuck us. <laughs> they figured Go out on. a way, and by the time we created laws to prevent them from buying all our property, so they bought all our housing and wouldn't let people live in them, and it caused the inflation of the properties to artificially inflate so that there's no property in Vancouver, no piece of land, period, worth less than $1.4 The rent oh, of wow. my beachside apartment that I had, uh, which was nice, but not like... You know, it wasn't like luxurious. I paid a right. grand a month for it. Three years after they evicted me for renovations, it went up to sixty five hundred. Whoa! Yeah, Lord. and they only rent it to Asian students who are there for less than six months, so that they can boost the rent in between every new renter. Yeah, and so course, we had massive migrations away from Vancouver. We had the highest population in in British Columbia. We had we had. In Vancouver, we had the highest population per capita of artists and performers. And in Victoria, B.C., we had the second highest. And they all pretty much left. And we also now have the highest homeless population in, uh, in radius-wise, like in, in concentrated areas, in the world now. And wow, in, in the downtown crazy. east side of Vancouver, in a, in a th- six-block radius, we have the highest concentration of homelessness and drug use in the world per capita. So in downtown Eastside at Maine and Hastings in Vancouver, you can go up to a guy 24-7 and get any single drug you want for whatever amount of change you have in your pocket. Now, if you have nice shoes on, they might take your shoes if you don't have much money. But the major problem is they can't even get socks. They don't even have socks. And I worked in the church, so I worked in the outreach. The Golden Dawn Temple, Temple Tehuti, was a block from there, right next Mm -hmm. to uh, the famous, world-famous strip club, Number 5 Orange. And we would go out and give fruit and, and do support work for the homeless. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a crisis. I mean, that's the environment out of which we, the, we, the world gained the wonderful Gaber Mate, the Dr. Gaber Mate, who I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he pioneered ayahuasca treatment for hardcore lifelong crack addicts with, oh, with 90% success rate until the Canadian government shut him down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he wrote two major books that everyone in the world needs to read probably in high school. Um, he wrote in the realm of hungry ghosts, which is on addiction, but it's not just about drug addiction. It's about addiction in the sense that if you drink coffee every day, you have a sense of addiction in your life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Addi- addiction can be to relationships, can be anything. And he looks at that using studies that still to this day have not been released to the public. Um, wow. and he's been banned from most radio stations and news agencies from even talking about those studies because they don't want that information out there. And the other book that everyone should read is on stress, and it's called um, When the Body Says No. And oh, I, think I feel like I've heard of that one. It's one of the ten books I brought down here with me because it's like a Bible to me. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? I, th- I think this is why I can't completely discount 
you know, air quotes, conspiracy theories, because this stuff does happen. There is information. Uh, well, there are conspiracies. That's a p- yeah. fact of life. And a theory yeah. is just uh, an idea based on a few facts. Right. They're exactly. not conspiracy hypotheses. Right. Right. I mean, if the government's like, yo, there's spaceships, that's a fact then, more or less. And we have theories based on that. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, 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 this is such an interesting time to be a human being who is alive. <laughs> we're definitely in a, in a, in a, in a, this, the simulation we're in is not boring. It is not, you know, I had this conversation with a friend of mine the other night. Um, she said to me that she wanted to, she said, do you want to buy an idea off me so that you can write a novel based on my idea? I've sold and that. I, said, I've, I did ghostwriting for years and I sold ideas. Right. I said, go on. <laughs> and and I, sh- I shouldn't give away her state secrets really, but um, her, her theory was that there could be a new social media app that was kind of like Instagram, but instead of looking at, you know, pictures of people's lives, you looked at like other realities that you existed in. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. She oh. was like, who, who can you imagine VR like getting here? a hold of that? <laughs> right, we should, we should do something with it. Well, all good um, reality is going to take over, right? <clears throat> Like we're gonna, pretty soon we're going to have contact lenses where you can hit like a World of Warcraft setting and everyone you see is augmented to look like they're in World of Warcraft. Oh, boy. Like that's, uh, I, that's do, actually, I believe this. I said to my buddy who's in tech, his company's funded by, uh, by Mark Cuban. I said to him when we were fucked up on shrooms at Devil's Lake a few years ago, I said to him, do you think one day we might develop glasses that like create a hybrid reality? He's like... He's like Eleguin. That's my <laughs> that's my name. Um, there says, we are. <laughs> he says he said Frater RC. He said one of the companies co-funded that I work with by Mark Cuban is already developing the contact lenses. I was like, what the hell? He's like, I'm, he, I'm like, why aren't they out yet? He's like, it's not quite there yet. I said, well, then why are we all? Why is everyone doing Oculus Rift? And why is that the new thing? He's like, oh. Oculus Rift realized there's just a time gap in which that would yeah. fill that hole and make some yep. money. They know that. They know that. They know it's going to develop. I was like, it blew my mind. I mean, the real, the real, real mind fuck would be that actually we've all been implanted with those contact lenses at birth, and none of this is real. This is just the simulation. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I I go pretty far down the rabbit hole in my own head. I, I a while ago, I just sort of decided that, and I don't say this lightly as, as a way to kind of, as a way to, I don't say this in a way to say like, you know, I don't take life seriously or I'm not, you know, deeply morally and ethically engaged in my life. But I think from a magical perspective, from a spiritual perspective, if you view reality as something that can be tweaked and like played in a certain way, there are things that you can do and, and ways that you can manipulate your reality experience that become um, advantageous, but also very interesting. So I do sort of, in some ways, treat things like a game. I was sitting on the couch the other day having just like a really bad day for like no particular reason, just in a crappy mood. And I just sort of took a moment and I breathed in and I was like, you know, none of this is actually real though. 
Like this, there's there's no evidence. There's no strong evidence to suggest that this is real. What does real even mean? Like, never mind. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> the First Nations who who often say that this whole life is a dream. Yeah, I mean exactly. And I think as someone who dreams very vividly, I, you know, in my lucid dreams. Yeah, I'm and, super jealous of that. By the way, I haven't told oh, you that dude, yet, but I'm super jealous. It's so great. It's so great. I, I can't lie. Um, it did unfortunately <clears throat> lead to a period of time in my in my teens and twenties where I didn't do a whole lot except for take sleeping pills and sleep a lot. But um, you know, I have this entire other life that goes on there, and so I think it's given me a perspective on this life that's like, okay, well, you know, this is part of reality, this is part of the experience, but it's not the whole experience. So maybe maybe I can liberate myself from the yoke of stress, you know, and maybe I can liberate myself from these anxious patterns that I, that I play out in my head. Maybe I can just view all of this a little bit differently. It's probably a tiny bit insane, but you know, aren't we all? Not really. (laughs) So I, I I was just going through one of my magical diaries from uh, early high school the other day. And do you know what I found? You'll like this. So I, I found one of my early astral travels, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. in the astral travel, I went to my high school and I walked through the wall and I walked into a classroom and all of a sudden I saw one of my classmates there and I walked up and asked, like, what are you doing here? And the next day at school, that kid came up to me, this girl, said, you know, I had the weirdest dream last night where I yes. went to school and you appeared and walked up and asked what I was doing here. And I was like, what the fuck? Yep. What the fuck? Why the fuck yep. is science not figuring out how that is possible? That's my question. Why are we not looking into this? Because that, you know, Outside the more of I started creepy MK to, Ultra. The more I started to study this stuff, the more I realized that that experience, as as crazy as it is, is not that uncommon. Like just based on sort of anecdotal evidence to people that I've spoken to and things that I've read, you know, I've heard anecdotes like that many, many, many times. So people are having these mutual dreaming experiences or these these intersections of astral astral travel and, and dreaming yeah pretty pretty often like it's not you know it's not a once in a lifetime unheard of thing and yet i would say that it gets a great deal less study than than even things like past lives you know we seem to have done a lot more looking at at other esoteric yeah well, bullshit and I, I don't, know, don't know why that is i have to conclude that there is some kind of um advanced MK Ultra-esque government study program going on that we just don't know about. I mean, I've tried well, we know to about myself. it now. We know about it now. It's it's, it's right. I mean, check out that book, Chaos. Yes, I've heard of this, but not. I haven't looked like deeply into it. So, yeah, it's it's you know, it's funny when I looked at that diary entry. I could tell at the time. At the time, I was quite um, incredulous and, and sort of believed everything. I thought I believe right. I believed in reincarnation. I don't believe in reincarnation anymore, believe it or not. Really? Oh, not at oh. all. I think it's bullshit. <laughs> and and that's nice. actually a weird position. I know people are going to be like freaking out and like what the hell? Even the Roman Catholic Church does not deny reincarnation because they can't dogmatically, you know why? Why? Because it's documented in the Hebrew Bible or, or as as some people call it, the Old Testament, though that's a pejorative uh-huh. term. You know it's pejorative to call it the Old Testament. You, it should be called the Hebrew Bible or Older Testamental Literature. Interesting. Yeah, unless you want it, because otherwise you just sound like some arrogant Christian fuck who's like, that's the Old Testament. 
It's not the important one because yeah, it doesn't not have my guy one. in it. It's <laughs> way more important one. Like it yeah. was Jesus's holy book, along with probably exactly. all the other Gnostic shit he read at Alexandria. Well, so I have I have a question for you. Uh, several questions, actually, but uh, but starting with why don't you believe in reincarnation? What was your uh, what was your breaking point well, there, or what's your thinking? I mean. I have lots of past life memories that I've been documenting throughout my childhood and uh, uh-huh. early adulthood. Um, <sighs> right, actually, here's here's the, here's a good intro question to that question. What is the Golden Dawn stance on reincarnation? Well, that's a good question. I know Sa- Samuel yeah. Scarborough's like wetting his pants right now, wanting to answer that. He, he's all, <laughs> he's he's a Golden Dawn uh, expert like myself who, uh, well, probably more than myself in many people's opinion. I don't know that let's not get into the politics of that one. I, I, I show up on the golden dawn forums once in the time and, and, and fuck with them. Um, I fuck with everyone. I fuck with everyone on those forums. Like the other, the, a little while ago, I went on the golden dawn forums and said like, don't listen to Crowley. He was a flunky who couldn't even pass the grades. <laughs> and people, Shots Golden Dawn fired. people generally are not pro Crowley, but they like rose to defend Crowley and filled out all these details based on manuscripts that are even and letters that are even unpublished. And I was reading them like, this is gold. I'm really glad to learn this shit. But if I just came out and asked people like, hey, yo, share some unpublished uh, facts and, and secrets right. with me that I don't have, they'd be like, no. Yeah, so, of like course I have to go out and stir up shit. Trolling with a purpose. Yeah. Trolling with an agenda. I yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I just I just throw some stuff out, you know. Um, and no, none of those people, because they deleted my Frater RC Facebook account, um, mm-hmm. as like when I go on as my real name, a lot of those people don't know that I'm Frater RC. So I get a lot of people saying, you know, you should really uh, study the system and do the ritual work. <laughs> And do that stuff. And, and then the people who know me are like, oh, dude, you don't know who you're talking to. Um, right. And I, I don't care because, like, honestly, we're the, the one of the key lessons of the Golden Dawn that really, if there's anything you should know about the Golden Dawn, is that we're all always neophytes. I love that. Always. And one of the best quotes, about, especially about adepthood, because, uh, you know, a lot of people throw around the term adept. And I like to point out that you're not an adept in life or spirituality ever. Not ever. What you can be is an adept in a system. You can be an adept yeah. in this system. That doesn't make you ontologically better than someone else. I threw out a $5 word there for you because you're educated. That was lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love those $5 words. Um, and no, I had, a, I had a rant about this on, on TikTok of all places actually the other day because, you know, that is a platform full of very young people, um, many of whom are doing some just in silly things uh, because they – are, I don't want to say they think they're witches. You know, they are. They're they're coming. They're awakening to their past. They're you know discovering. They're learning. But um, you know, there's there's a couple of them on there who are like 18, 19 years old, uh, and have obviously not been practicing very long and haven't perhaps done a whole bunch of formal study. Everyone has their own parts, whatever. But these people who are like, well, I've been doing this for two years, and therefore I am the expert. And I made this video, and I was just like, y'all. The whole purpose of this, the whole purpose of walking a spiritual path, particularly a magical path, is to keep learning. Yeah. Like you're not going to get to this end point where you're like, I am the best now and therefore I know all the things and you can treat me as like the elder and, and the wise person and, and I can stop. I can stop reading books now because I figured it all out. Like how fucking boring. Yeah. Why would you want to get to that point? You know? Yeah. 
Well, one of the things I love about the Golden Dawn is by the time you get the title of an adept, which is very honored, Mm -hmm. by the time you get that title, really the, uh, if you're in a good order or a good temple, the whole goal of that education is to make sure that by the time you're called very honored brother or sister, you don't give a fuck and you know it means nothing. Like, you know at a visceral level, what does, what very honored means is means that if the toilet needs to be scrubbed for an hour, you're the first one who should do it. That's what it fucking should mean. Anyone who thinks it means something else doesn't have the title, not really. Yeah, I think that's great. It means uh, you're the I one mean, doing the shit work. And you can be relied the, on to do more than other people. That's the problem, you know, I think. And, and to kind of sidestep again, I feel like we'll... We'll get to the quest, the answers to questions eventually. But, um, you know, I have resisted a lot of formal initiations. Granted, I, to be perfectly frank, very few were available to me until relatively recently because I did not live in a place where such things were accessible. But um, They're also not advertised, the good ones. There's that as well. Uh, and I did not know the right people because I grew up in Perth. Uh, this is where, you know, someone who listens to this Which is ironic because like, one of the most significant <laughs> teachers of the Golden Dawn lineage is in Australia. <laughs> I was about to say, someone's going to pop up and be like, this bitch doesn't know what she's talking about. Pat Zalewski, so Pat Zalewski, baby. Pat Zalewski oh, is one of the only chief adepts of the Golden Dawn tradition that actually has what we would maybe call lineage. Huh, so you grew up in one of the only places where you could have maybe been trained by one of the most legitimate people in the world. God damn it. I was too busy talking to internet vampires. <laughs> You're too busy with vampires, girl, and blood sucking. Too busy drinking my own blood. What am I doing? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're going to get in. We're so getting banned. It's banned from everything. Banned. Banned from, this is also like the life. educated white privilege episode, I think. Oh, gosh. Well, we both went to private school and have (laughs) master's degrees. Yeah, I know. I I need to get some some, uh, people of color on this thing. The problem is I don't know anyone because I'm so white. You know, that's that's funny. But it's also, I think, a legitimate um, obstacle, you know. And and it it comes back to what I was saying earlier about that experience of being like, oh, boy. Um, You know, I live now in a majority black city, which is amazing. It's, It's an amazing experience to have. And. You know, New Orleans is such a, you know, culturally rich, diverse, beautiful place. And I'm very lucky to, it's hard, it's hard to phrase this in a way that doesn't sound bad in some way. <laughs> I, I'm trying to be so careful of my words. But I do think I'm lucky to have had the opportunity to step outside of my comfort zone because, you know, I could have just stayed in Perth forever, probably never speaking to a black person, um, which unfortunately is a, a reality That's for a lot of people. possible in Australia, eh? Yeah, exactly. Where were we talking about, though? We, we were running down the... I'm getting all turned around. Cause We've got so many good like, tangents going. I'm excited. I, I feel like our brains are just like... <laughs> well, I, I did want to know about the Golden Dawn reincarnation, though. So, so is, the, is there like a party line there? Gold, yeah, there the like Golden Dawn people generally and traditionally are huge into reincarnation. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't so, believe in reincarnation <laughs> because I think it's stupid. <laughs> Um, no, um, uh, it's cause I actually believed for a long time that time wasn't linear and it didn't I make do sense. Believe, I do that, believe that. Do you not now? No, 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 I don't because I hang, I've been teaching here for the last year with granny rainbow, um, uh-huh. and granny rainbow is the shit. Um, she, her teacher was one of the writers of the Kabbalion, 
Oh, wow. Um, Paul Foster Case, who was a Golden Dawn initiate who then created the Builders of the Adatum, which is a magical order that cut out Enochian magic and focused on the tarot. And they're, they have a great correspondence course, actually, if you want some good old hardcore uh, high magical training in tarot. Wow. Apparently, the weekly, the weekly correspondence lessons is, are phenomenal. Um, oh, wow. The, I, I did an interview. You can check out my interview with, um, uh, fuck, what's his name? Um, I always call, I always think of him as Fratter name, but he's not listed as that. Chris Winters, check out my one by Chris Winters. It's way under listened to, and the first half of it actually took place of the recording of the interview is from Berlin, 2019, and then the second oh, half is just from a couple months ago. And he uh, was looking for he was doing GD self initiation, but then he mm-hmm. got into Boda. The, the, and did their correspondence course, and it's just blown him away. And he's up, actually up in the Appalachia Mountains. He was talking to me about like this, the hoodoo magic they do up there, where where women put their menstrual blood in guys' coffees, and then the guys become obsessed with them, and that's like really common. Oh yeah, Appalachian folk magic is is bonkers, but like shit. super cool. Mm. <laughs> So, so, so where's, where did your deviation occur? So I thought um, time wasn't linear, and so Granny Rainbow's daughter and her daughter's husband are two of the top leading physicists studying dark matter, and her daughter's an engineer who just designed 5,000 lenses to perceive dark matter for the first time. Wow. And it's being launched in Texas, and it just got delayed because of, of COVID. So all the mm-hmm. stuff you hear coming out on dark matter is about to be completely revised because of what they're doing. So I oh, asked, wow. I got a chance to talk to him and I just went down the list of crazy pseudoscience and spirituality I've heard from, <laughs> from the Kabbalion across the whole gamut. And I, I said, is this, what's this? What's this? What's this? Like, is this true? I said, so time isn't linear, right? Time is weird. It's circular or Ouroboros or something like that. So therefore reincarnation doesn't make sense. And he said, no, no, no. Time is linear. As best we know, and we pretty much know, time is linear. I said, but what about multiple dimensions and time streams? He's like, oh, yeah, that's definitely probably true. I'm like, oh, shit. So it's not – here's the thing. It's not that I don't believe in reincarnation. I think reincarnation as we consider it and the way we consider it is vastly different like karma than the way it was traditionally considered in Hindu religion, right, which is a whole different like socioeconomic – mechanism yeah. to supp- oppress the mind <laughs> the the poor right. people right and k- karma is not what it is in the new age over in india um but it was really cool because basically my thoughts have been i think reincarnation is just far in the sense of leapfrogging like oh i was moina mathers oh i i was Al- cleopatra like everyone uh-huh. was those people everyone says they were the same right. people to me it seems just way too simplistic yeah I think whatever the case is, if we ever find out, and we should, I would be nice, I think it's just way more complicated. Like, I think it's more realistic that you weren't Cleopatra. It's more realistic that we all were Cleopatra and are right now at the same time. (laughs) That That, makes sense to me, That makes more sense to me than there's someone out here alive today who used to be Cleopatra. Yeah, and that just seems just like so so like yeah. simplistic. It's inane. So it, this is very interesting because I kind of take my the readings that I do. I take my cues from the clients who come to me, which which I think all good readers do. Well, you probably read but, the cards and their energy at the same time, right? 
Because exactly. I mean, a lot of it's intuitive. I tell people usually, you know, I could I could throw the deck into the river and just read you, but sure. I'm going to use the deck. You that know, was because- that was my main purpose in high school. Girls would ask me about their boyfriends. I'd hold their hand mm-hmm. and I'd tell them what I saw. And you that were was, like, and you're going to the I, dance with me. <laughs> that was no, no. That was how I had value. No, I had no interest in girls. Oh my god, I had really? zero huh. interest in girls. My my best friends all thought I was like some warped asexual creature because of that but actually it was because i was highly invested in my ritual and magical practice yeah you were just doing other stuff energy was focused elsewhere plus i come from an irish catholic family where sex is evil and you'll die well you know that's there's that um but but so i have a lot of clients right who um i i think it's interesting to watch who comes to me and what they're asking because it strikes me, or it has struck me over the course of, of my career, that people come to me with certain questions, and those are the areas that I need to pay attention to, sort of in my practice or in my life. And so for a while there, I had a lot of clients who were coming to me, and they were just like, hey, well, can you like tell me about my past life? <laughs> and, um, you know, that's a, a pretty un- unconventional tarot question. You know, I mean, most people would not go and see a reader for that reason necessarily you know you might seek out a different kind of practitioner yeah the psychics i know charge a lot more for past live readings right right but but you know in in the spirit of uh appeasing the client and and also because i find it interesting i was like sure you know let's let's do this and i had a lot of success with that with with doing these readings and sort of hitting on things that the client that, that resonated with the client things that they had dreamed already things that they had sort of sensed or felt themselves so that was a very interesting experience but during the course of doing that work i kind of came to a conclusion not dissimilar to yours and i found myself saying to people you know just because we're talking about your past life that doesn't mean that oh well congratulations you're in this lifetime now and your soul previously was doing this and you know two two lifetimes ago it was doing this you know your past life could have been in the year 2025 your past life could have been you know in this in this different you know dimension in this different timeline in this different reality it's not it's not linear in the way that we understand linear time you know materially i guess and and that came very intuitively i hadn't read anything to that you know in that regard It, it was just something that sort of made sense to me at the time and I think that what you're saying about somebody potentially being, you know, like, as you said, we've all been, we were all Cleopatra. We still are all Cleopatra. That makes sense when you think about how energy breaks down as well, you know, yeah. um, rather than this weird idea, this weirdly kind of Christian idea of like the indivisible human soul that just sort of keeps doing its thing. So I don't know. I'm still kind of figuring all of that out and, and, and what it all means. Yeah. This is, well, this is what I love about my work, you know, is that I, I don't have all the answers. I don't even have some answers. I, I'm a big walking question mark. And that's the beauty I love of that. Them, right? Yeah. I, that's actually one of the key features of my, uh, my, my wee wee magnum opus. Um, my main book talks about the importance of uncertainty. Yeah, I think it's vital. Um, I mean, or maybe I think that because I come from a philosophy background. Uh, you do, you know. do. I keep forgetting that. Yeah, maybe maybe that is why. But I need to send. Um, you, I'm going to send you a copy of, of my my book, The well, Ethics on, of which, Understanding which you, God. 
You know, I think I have it because I think I downloaded it to my Kindle. No. <laughs> so I just haven't. I I'll haven't send, I'm going to send you a soft cover because the soft cover has, has footnotes. You need the footnotes. Oh, the gold is always in the footnotes. I would love that. Honestly, I also prefer the only thing you need to read in my main books. work is the conclusion and the footnotes. <laughs> the main text is just so you get your degree. That's, that's, that's a very fair point. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's interesting, huh? What, what brought you to the Golden Dawn specifically? Was there like a reason that that fell into your life or oh, jumped yeah. out at you or that's what you pursued? So I come from a long line of Masons. Uh-huh, okay. um, my great great grandfather was like most worshipful master or whatever they're called. I, I'm not a serious Mason. I, I mean, I technically am a Freemason and and proud of it, I guess, in a sense. But I don't. I've, <laughs> I've only. I went to my initiation. I got drunk afterwards with them toasting the Queen of England, which was really upsetting for me as a as a Irish nationalist. Um, yeah. Like I spent my childhood <laughs> writing fan letters to the IRA. Yeah, yeah. The, so toasting the queen would when, not really when I showed up and that. had to take an oath on a Bible, on an altar covered with a British flag, I was a little upset. And then afterwards, <laughs> I found out that the Freemasons who initiated me should have referred me to an what's called an Irish craft lodge, where there would have been an Irish flag on the altar, and that ah. would have been way better. But the reason they didn't do it was because they needed young members so much, and that to me violated my integrity and my sense of honor and it pissed me the fuck off and every mason i've talked to since then when i've told them that story has looked at me with horror they've said i am so sorry that happened to you like i was abused because it was, I was a kind say, of because that's kind of predatory in a sense yeah you know? but you like, know they yeah. needed members really bad it was the biggest lodge in this huge skyscraper they own in vancouver or it's a big, big tower called, and it was Trinity Lodge where my great, great grandfather was a member. There was no males in my family for two generations until me. And I'll probably be the last male of my generation because I don't really want to pass on autoimmune diseases to my, any kids, you know? Yeah, Um, fair enough. I'm definitely, I've always wanted to adopt. I think there's nothing wrong with adopting, but whatever. I mean, I did tour with a band for five years, so chances are I probably do have a few biological kids out there. I just don't (laughs) know about I'm joking, Fun. but I'm also who knows. You know, there was there was memory many 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 nights in gigging throughout Europe that I don't remember. Um, there you go. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so so the Mason thing didn't work out for you so well. Well, you um, know, I probably will finish the Blue Lodge as they call it in the the next two initiations, and then I'll be a master mason which is a full mason but you're you're full anyway whatever the the masonry thing i did after the golden dawn but what led me to the golden dawn was just you know i left transcendental meditation to maharishi after my parents divorce because they got divorced Ah. and they both stopped meditating my mom got got into wicca through her boyfriend who was one of the his whose wife was one of the top ranking people in amwork ancient mystical order rosea cruches which is based in san jose Ah. Um, okay. I think they're a bunch of wankers because they've trademarked the name Rosicrucian Order and are suing other people who use it, which is crazy. Oh, it's like yikes. the yeah. the dude David Griffin who trademarked the name Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and all he does is do live streams talking about the problems that we have with Chinamen. Um, oh, God. Yeah, right? Oh. Yeah. Plus, he also has photos of himself in uh, Nazi uniform on Thule Society websites and broke into my house during a neophyte initiation when I was a hierophant in the Golden Dawn. Oh my God. So he's okay. like, there's these fucking nut jobs out there who are doing all this c- tremendous damage 
to the spiritual yeah. traditions that we love. But that happened in the old Golden Dawn Order with the Horos scandal. You probably haven't heard of that, but check out uh, my friend Mary Greer's book, Women of the Golden Dawn. If you want a good oh, introduction. You know what? I've actually seen that. Around. I haven't read it, but I've seen it around because I think, again, you and I have it's spoken on, um, about, you know, women in, in, in formal occult traditions, which uh, obviously they exist, but you don't hear about them. Well, you got to remember, yeah, so the Golden Dawn was a feminist order. Essentially, it was a group of guys who said, we're sick and tired of this shit. Let's create an order where women have equal footing. But then not only did we, with the women in that order, have equal footing, but they ran the show. Annie Horniman privately paid for McGregor Mathers' life while being in love with his wife, of course, because his wife was probably gay. Mathers was probably gay and just needed a beard. Like, you know, you went to jail. Like, Oscar Wilde's wife was in the Golden Dawn while Oscar was in jail for being gay. So, like, of course, you know, all that stuff going on. Um, Where were we at? Uh, what? Uh, well, we talked about well, you were going to talk about Mary so yeah. Greer so I got into Wicca yeah. and Druidry through my mom's friends, my mom's boyfriend, and okay. I got into Wicca and Druidry and had this huge spiritual awakening, which I wrote about in my autobiography. I actually had released uh, the first draft of my autobiography, and then my mom saw it and asked me to remove it and not re-release it till she died. Oh, mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of child abuse in my history, so uh, yeah, I understand, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Twins. I understand. High, high five for child abuse. Yeah, right. Nothing like being uh, smacked for saying what you think. Oi, oi, yeah. <laughs> um, and so after Wicca and Druidry, like, I remember I set up my first altar. I sat down after reading R.J. Stewart's Celtic Magic. And I sat there with my first druid altar. I'm like, yes, I'm a druid. And nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. I'm like, damn, I even got an athame, you know? I got my athame. I got my book of shadows. I bought all the love potions I could find at this store in Penticton. And nothing happened. And so I kept reading. I kept reading. I read Alephus Levy. I read everything I could find, you know, from the ages of 12 to 14, 15, I probably spend about 30 grand on books. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I made a ton of money as a child um, with Magic the Gathering. By the age of 16, oh, really? I, I, yeah, by the age of 16, <laughs> I collected, I, I didn't have money. I was a poor, poor kid after the divorce. Yeah. Um, but I spent, I turned $800 in Magic the Gathering into uh, enough sets of cards and rare cards that I mm-hmm. liquidated for a hundred grand by age sixteen in ninety seven. Oh yeah, the market for that shit is. Out oh yeah, of so I, I made like in, I, investment I, banking. Yeah, so I, I I had a couple hundred grand worth of magic cards that I liquidated that paid for my life, um, and that's how wow, I was able amazing. to leave home and move to Vienna when I was sixteen. Um, wow. And so huh. by the age of fourteen, I started reading Donald Michael Craig's Modern Magic, of course, and the other Golden Dawn stuff, and I realized that just. The rituals in that, when I started doing it, they actually seemed to work. And mm-hmm. I was like, shit, I'm actually feeling something physiologically changing in my body. And mm. I kept, so I, there was a Golden Dawn Order in Vancouver run by a very honored Frater Ka. And mm-hmm. I eventually called them and left a message. It took me ages because the voice on the phone was like a used car salesman voice. And it turned out he was a used car salesman <laughs> and ex, ex Vegas stage magician. Who eventually, he, he became my godfather later on, and he's world famous now. 
one of the first rate douchebags of the occult world. <laughs> anyway, I called and uh, Marcel called me back and then Frater Ka initiated me. Frater Ka is now world famous in Arabic magic because he's actually also known as Nineveh Shadrach. So I was ha. initiated by Nineveh Shadrach and given the motto RC, which means Rumpen's Catenay, Broken of Chains. And mm. um, I just found out since I've been here at the uh, Fellowship of Isis, Temple of Isis Oasis Retreat Center, that uh, Breaker of Chains is one of the names of Isis. So that's quite interesting. I, I never realized that when I was first initiated in the Golden Dawn. And I was initiated ah. 15. My mom had to sign these papers, get interviewed, and she paid my way because I, I didn't have the money quite then, quite yet. Mm-hmm. I, I, I liquidated at 16, not not when the when the spike in right, value happened. Right. And uh, and I, that was the youngest anyone's ever been initiated. There's lots of 16-year-olds that got initiated, included, including Nineveh Shadrach. But no 15-year-olds. And I wasn't allowed to meet any other members of the temple or order for the first year and a half. Because there was some freaks and they didn't want me to meet those freaks and be scared away. So it was cool. I got private <laughs> education from Nineveh Shadrach for the first year and a half. Until he quit the order because the used car salesman stole his girlfriend. Um, yeah, I know. Lots of creepy shit. You can always listen to my buddy Edward's Esoteric Nerd podcast. Actually, if you want like a thousand hours of quality listening, actually more like 200 hours... The Esoteric Nerd Podcast by Edward Reed slash Variana Frater BT. It's on all the platforms. Some of the most amazing interviews like that you'll ever hear, including his co-host, who was a friend of mine, who was a student of mine, who became an adept, Joseph Shantz. He passed away of a brain tumor three, four years ago, which just oh, literally shattered me. Shattered Jeez. me. Um, so it's to me, I still wrestle with the fact that it seems often that the best human beings just die for no fucking reason. It's so true. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day, actually. But, uh, yeah, that, I mean, God, a brain tumor. Ugh. He went in for like surgery a, and didn't come up. Oh, my God. That's like, awful. I can't honestly think about him without just coming close to tears. It's so horrible. And he was such an amazing human being. Super gay. Super fabulous. <laughs> he was the first um, openly gay adept allowed into our order. Um, cause we were quite a Catholic order. Actually, our inner order was quite Catholic. Um, di- every inner order is different. The outer order of the golden dawn should be generally the same, but an inner order is a separate thing. So right, I right. could say so much more about that, but I don't want to waste our time on such tawdry details of GD policy. No, it's, inter- it's interesting though. So like something that I have been, what I, I said, to, say- let me tell you what I said to myself was this. Okay. I said, you know what, buddy? I was talking to myself, I said, <laughs> Wicca and Druidry seems like it's too watered down. There's no direct education. I looked into yeah. Arn- I looked into Bo- uh, uh, Bards, um, Bards, Ovedes, and Druids. I looked into the ancient Druidical orders, but they didn't have John Michael Greer yet. They didn't have any of these amazing new authors who are revolutionizing mm-hmm. them. I looked into Arnriachtain, which is the Irish Druid order. Arnriachtain mm-hmm. is Gaelic. It just means, like, ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um um, and so I said, let, I said, what's the worst that could happen if I just do this old school, traditional GD ceremonial magic training, pound my way through it? What's the worst that could happen? I'll at least get sort of qualified in the rubrics, you know, yeah, it's totally. like getting my black belt. And I did. And it was actually way more intense than I thought it would be. It transformed me utterly. 
And then working as a hierophant, initiating other people, I did many, many terms. And by the time I left, I was the head of all of Canada. Um, So it was, it was a lot to take on in my early twenties. It destroyed my family's life and my life in many ways. Wow, that's uh, Led to numerous robberies, assaults, death threats, attempts on my life. And uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world because um, I've seen very few people in my life able to do or who have experienced what I can do and what I've experienced. And as, as crazy as that sounds, it's my experienced reality. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's your reality. And that's what, you know, that experience gave you, which I think is awesome. I mean, I think my whole life, you know, I was looking for something like that. You know, I wanted nothing more than to have some, yeah, yeah, I I mean, I'm a nerd, right? (laughs) You know, I'm a, I'm so glad you're a nerd. I had no idea what a fucking nerd you are. You're like, you and me should start some online Dungeons and Dragons campaign or something. I'm telling you, man. Like, oh I mean, you know, card carrying, D and D playing. Oh my god! And rice, and rice vampire reading, like nerd girl. What I, what edition HTML of D and D did you play? Were you like three three point oh, three point five, or like second edition? Mostly three point oh. Yeah, that's three point five is the bomb. Third edition is 3. the bomb. Three point five is the bomb. I was in a three point five game. I feel like 4th Ed and 5th Ed is for people who wish it was slightly more of a video game. Yeah, I don't love that. I like, you know, I have to be real. I'm terrible at math. Like, I mean, I am am not good. And so I am a slow player from a, you know, mechanical point of view. But, uh, you know, I love... Dice rolling is the last resort in a good campaign. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um... But yeah, you know, I, I'm a huge nerd, and so all I wanted was to find something that would give me a, a formalized training structure, and I just, you know, I just did not find that uh, when I probably most needed it. Yeah. And so it isn't until, you know, now, really, that, that I now have options for that. And now I'm so used to doing things by myself, and I'm, I, <laughs> I'm kind of like not a joiner at this yeah. point, right? And the other problem, I think, is, you know, and, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, and obviously, without wanting to slight anybody else or, or what they're doing, but there's a lot of ego in it that I don't love. You know, I've, I've considered no, joining really? certain organizations and just been like, oh, my God, all these people are pricks. You know, like, why would I want to hang out with these people, um, let alone share that really kind of vulnerable part of myself and part of my life with them. So I've been kind of turned off many of, of those kinds of organizations, particularly here in New Orleans, because of the ego. Um, and, you know, we all have one. I have one. Fuck. Um, otherwise, I probably wouldn't be doing a podcast interview with you if I, you know, didn't have an ego. Well, but, it sounds um, like there you're conflating two def- different definitions of the word ego. That is true. That is true. Those are um, different meanings that you're pretending are one for the sake of self Yes, that that is true. Um, yeah, and it's weird because you know, thinking about thinking about the, the more proper definition of ego in my practice, I just you know I I don't want to. It's ego in itself to say that I don't have it, right? It's ego in itself to say like, oh well, that doesn't inform my practice. But at the same time, it's never to me been about. Being the best, getting a title, 
being in charge of other people, you know, none of those things particularly interest me. What does interest me is learning and being of service and finding ways to be of greater service, accruing information and knowledge that will allow me to be of greater service. You know, that's really the, the driving motivation. And if I can, you know, learn some things along the way that make my life a little easier, hooray, or, or a little more interesting. But, um, but yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of that flying around, I think, in the occult community generally, but certainly in New Orleans. Um, it's such a magical city and it's such a spiritual city that we have these personalities in town that, that it is, you know, just a dick measure in context. <laughs> it's right. incredibly tiresome. Oh, my God. Who has time, you know? I don't know. I'm too busy for that shit. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, it's very weird. There's, um, there's the sense of ego... Ego as in, um, just pouring some more iced tea for me, myself here. Delicious. Uh, what what flavor mixed, iced tea are we It's drinking? the Arizona cans of half and half iced tea and lemonade, which I just poured oh, into a half glass of wine. Uh, oh, very nice. Yeah, I can't handle straight wine. It's too, that's too hardcore for me. I'm a lightweight. So, yeah, give me give me your thoughts on 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 that, you know, because I feel like you can't really escape it completely in an organized um, traditional system. I think there's always going to be because it's people, right? And that's how people are. Yeah. So well, I had to read. Thoughts? I read. To, I had to read the the whole gamut of psychoanalytic philosophy and literature mm-hmm. for my masters. Um, Mainly for my footnotes, of course, um, mm-hmm. not for the main body of the text. <laughs> and what I what I really took away from that was understanding the difference between ego in the sense of personality development and ego in the sense of egotism, which I yes, see egotism yes. as reliance on the personality instead of desire for the personality to be transcended, but more accurately said, transformed. The word transcendent, transcended is pr- problematic, in my opinion, philosophically. Um, but when you think of ego kabbalistically, you think of the ruach, is what it's called. And ruach in Hebrew means breath, or huach, if you mm-hmm. want to get modern Hebrew pronunciation on it. Um, and the idea of the ruach, or the ruach Elohim, the breath of God, being mm-hmm. your soul, your personality, is a, is a sacred thing. And you want to strengthen that. You want to purify that. You want to take each of the five sephira or spheres of the ego and turn them from their leaden states into gold. And mm-hmm. you want to do it over and over again, Ouroboros style, just over and over yeah. and over. It's what's called the lesser circulation. But if you don't get eventually involved in what's called the greater circulation of alchemy, which is the circulation of the spirit over lifetimes, if you're into reincarnation or progression of the soul, then you get trapped in egotism, where all you are is who you are instead of being who you could be. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, That's my $200,000 graduate school education for you, baby. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll pay off that debt when I'm dead. Uh, I'll, I'll put some money in your tip jar for that. No, 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 no. But you know, I mean, really, I think um, I just it, it really confounds me watching people who do get stuck in that loop because you know you would think I'm, I I am self-professed, you know, largely self-taught. You know, I, I read as much as I can. 
in recent years, I have become a little lazy with that, and I'm trying to kind of get back on my game. But I'm the first person to admit, you know, I have I have a lot of learning to do still, you know, yeah, particularly in certain areas. But I look at these people who have been through formal initiations and who, you know, sometimes run chapters of, of these formal organizations, and the fact that they're still apparently stuck in that in that unproductive ego loop, you know, it's, it's really very disheartening. And when I see that, it doesn't, it doesn't compel me to go up and say, tell me what you're about. You know, like, can I, can I learn from you? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a shame. It's a bummer. But I think that that's the other thing about magic is that it's intoxicating and you have to, you have to keep in mind that like any other, any other practice, any other habit, any other substance, there's a capacity for addiction there that can take you to some, you know, not great places, perhaps. Um, and I don't mean that in terms of, you know, I don't think we need to simplify it into sort of black magic and, and light magic, you know, spiritual bypassing and all of that nonsense. But you know, you know it's are, funny. No serious ways. magicians actually ever talk about white or black magic. Right. Exactly. Like that's that's not a thing. <laughs> I mean, it is well, and know. it isn't. Like in the Golden Dawn, we take very strict vows. Like I have never done any black magic. Period. I have mm-hmm. never, in fact, even done anything that's even slightly gray. Huh. Interesting. Ever. I haven't done a binding ritual on someone. I haven't done shit to anyone without their permission. Yeah. And people often joke about that with me online, thinking that, you know, like they say in a dark song, there's no point in going to the carnival if you don't go on the rides, right? Like, do some (laughs) black magic. You've seen a dark Uh, song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have? Yeah. Oh, shit. So when I get up to uh, Soma Institute, uh, when the border opens up, that's what I'll be doing is the Abramelin when I get there. Oh, I love that. Well, it's about time for me. I I might, some people would consider me to be overdue for doing it, but in my opinion, the whole Golden Dawn system from the Outer Order into Adepthood is a surrogate for the Abramelin because you can't go into the Inner Order and be initiated as an Adept or get what Rudolf Steiner would call the Solar Initiation without communicating with your Holy Guardian Angel to get your true Mm -hmm. magical motto. Because my true magical motto isn't Rumpen's cat and a broken of chains. My true that was what was given to me by my hierophant right. Nineveh Shadrach, Frater Ka. And my right. true magical motto is what my higher self gave to me in the grade of spirit portal as a probationer right. for this inner order. And that's the motto that is really me. And no one even right. knows what that is except for other adepti. And believe it or not, that motto works because the other day or not the other day. I would never do things that are illegal in America. So once upon a time, I did a, a series of DMT trips. You want to hear about this? Yes, absolutely. And it was intense. It was probably my 17th through 20th serious DMT trips. Mm-hmm. And the, the last one, I kept fighting. You can go into different, there's different realms. There's so many realms. I was kept getting dragged down to some of these darker realms, which I've often been pulled into because, let's face it, I sort of like them. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big, I've done a lot of work with the tunnels of set and the night side tree of, uh, if you know much about that, I don't know if you do. Not a whole lot. I wrote, but, my but most popular book you. is on the Klepot and sacred magic, which is a study of Kenneth Grant's night side, uh, Kabbalistic tree of life and 
using a, the methodology of St. John of the Cross's mysticism on the seven deadly sins to progress and elevate yourself through the encounter of these demonic beings and spiritual mm. paths in the, in the evil tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did that for many, many years. While most people thought I was actually bailed from the magical world, I was actually doing some hardcore work. But I'm a, yeah. big, I'm a big fan of the fourth principle of magic, which is to be silent. Yeah, seriously. Big fan of that. My patron Egyptian deity is definitely Harpocrates. Silence is the best thing. If I do magical work for people, and I do do magical work for people sometimes, if they ask me to, I talk to my higher self. If my higher self says thumbs up, I do it. Then they ask me what I did or what, it, what the results were. I say, I'm sorry, I can't tell you about that. Blessed mm-hmm. be. Go on thy way. Yep. I did what my higher self told me to do. Whatever the results are for you, not my business. Yeah, exactly. Right? I really take that point of view very seriously. I think it's crucial to not being cut off or bitch slapped by your higher self, which when it happens, sucks shit. Seriously. If you've ever been bitch slapped by your holy guardian angel, it fucking hurts and it can send you spiraling <laughs> for years. We all, we all know this. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> Uh, so I do. So what happened in the, in this in this most so I, not uh, most recent I, I, historic yeah DMT. yeah so this is something I did years ago in a country yes. where DMT is legal um, yes yes it didn't exactly. happen the other week <laughs> and I mean that I mean that okay yes. FBI hundred percent yes I'm with you um, and I was fighting to I was like no I don't want to go into one of these darker places which I frequented because they you know. I fought and I fought and I fought and I started using grade symbols. I started using passwords. And often when I take uh, techniques of ceremonial magic into DMT realms, often they just laugh at me and are like, yo, your human constructions of thought and ideas are bullshit. Get rid of them. Right, they have no sway here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you after your experience with entheogens, but up and uh, I'll finish the story first. And but this time I was fighting through it. I was fighting through it. There was like red, black. Like it's so real. It's more real than anything I've ever experienced in this world, including great sex. Right. That those Mm -hmm. realms, the DMT realms, are more real than anything I've ever experienced in this life. And Mm -hmm. everyone knows that. And I punched through into this new place. And again, the memories are hazy, but yeah. I fought and I fought and I, I elevated and I elevated. I rose on the planes as much as I could. And boom, I broke through this place and it was fucked up. It was terrifying. I looked into the face of God and I saw the cherubim and it was the vision of Ezekiel, which is something I never think about despite being a biblical scholar. I never mm-hmm. think about the vision of Ezekiel and the, the four faces and the Metatron and the ladder of lights. And it was, it was so, I was physically there and the voice of God, which is, I guess you might call it the Metatron or whatever, yeah, yeah. but, but the vo- it, its face was there. I saw the face of God and it was terrifying and it was ready to rip my soul apart. And I truly believed that if I fucked up, I might just die. And maybe I would have, who knows? It was, I, I did a lot of DMT and (laughs) of course this is all fiction. Nothing we're talking about here is real. We're just making shit up. And and I I said why I was there. I said what I was confronting and the reason I went with this purpose and this purpose Uh involved someone else. And uh-huh. it said, why, it's, it was like, who are you to say any of this? Why should you even be here? What's your name? 
and I spoke my true name as revealed by my holy guardian angel in my solar initiation. Mm-hmm. And I said it with, I had to, I had to rip apart every shell and outer layer of an insincerity and everything. I just had to lay my soul bare and speak my truth with more confidence than I've ever spoken. It. And I said those four words of my name and, it, and it's, it looked at me and it accepted me and it confirmed me. And it was like, I don't even, there's no words. There's no words for the rest of it. And, uh, that was really powerful because the previous 10 DMT trap journeys I had done had been very dark. Someone mm-hmm. would, you might call them a bad trip if you didn't know what you're talking about, but they totally. were just dark, dark as fuck. Like going into psychedelic loopholes where you are basically dead and never going to come out and reality yep. ceases to exist. And you basically think, Oh, I should just kill myself. Oh, I already have. Oh, Oh my God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, this Here is, I am. this yeah. is what death is like. Okay. And it lasts forever. But I saw the face of God and I saw the vision. I, the closest thing I can call it is the fucking vision of Ezekiel. And I have practiced Merkaba mysticism for about 20 years now. So it made sense that I would understand it, but yeah. confronting it was overwhelming. And yeah, that's coming from a background where I went through the whole Golden Dawn system for seven years, full time, hardcore, not a drop of alcohol or drugs in my body. I, I'm a big mm-hmm. believer in sober sober magic and you know you're in the celtic mysteries with me sort of now so you're going to see that but i also believe that i i've come to believe recently in the last few weeks that spirituality and spiritual practices especially magical practices are like sort of our exercise they're what keep us Mm -hmm. fit but the plant medicines are the actual medicines for when something's really wrong and if you exercise hard enough and work on yourself hard enough, you develop, you, you dig deep enough into the basement of your soul that you uncover stuff that you, most people don't need to actually uncover. Yeah. And so maybe then you need like something a little more heavy duty to, uh, to heal that if you stir something up, you yeah. know, if you, yeah, that makes sense to me. So, well, I can't believe <laughs> I just talked about that, but so be it. I'm a big fan when I do these interviews with people, um, to, uh, not give a shit about what I say or what I ask, you know, and I, I, I've, I think I've gotten that out of people like, uh, Frater, uh, Sabrina and Frater, not an OTO guy in, uh, from blazing star OTO Oasis in Cal in San Francisco. Uh-huh. Sorry. I, I didn't mean to call it that. I meant to call it Frisco cause that pisses them off. Um, <laughs> he, he wanted me to delete our th- almost four hour interview after we did it from midnight till 4am. Cause that was the only time he was free <laughs> sitting in, in his car Total Thelema style, right? He wanted nice. me to delete it. He begged me the next day to delete it. I said, fucking no way, man. You think my time is worthless? I'm not some fucking, you know, neo-pagan chump sitting here with nothing to do. I'm a professional. Right. I'm not I'm deleting. Busy. That shit's going out. And it is the second most listened to one after Sabrina's. Damn. The most listened to, th- the longer they are, the more they're listened to. It's the craziest fucking thing. And the only feedback I get on my podcast, period is people saying how much they appreciate the really, really long ones. Because I think it's how weird is natural, that but it's natural, you know, to, to want to follow a train of, of thought and a train of conversation rather than this very formalized, you know, question and answer. 
um, you know, there's something about, like, I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, you obviously, you told me, you know, you watched, rewatched some of my Instagram TV videos today and, you know, you had, I love your, your IGTV videos are the reason I reached out to you. Oh, really? Yeah, well, because you said good things. I feel like there's so nothing. Like, I'm not trying to be modest. I just don't feel like, like, there's, there's not as much substance there as I would like there to be. Yeah, but the pearls Um, that we give are never things that we realize. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, All the feedback I ever get in my life that's good is people saying this was good, and I'm like, that? That? Yeah, right? This thing? Yeah. Yeah. That was my entire grad school experience. Your advice on lucid dreaming. I never would have imagined that it was advisable, if I want a lucid dream, that I shouldn't get drunk and do a bunch of cocaine first. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> Until you were like, I rec- you said, I, I just watched this today, you, you recommended, well, if you want a lucid dream, I recommend not smoking a bunch of weed, getting drunk, and doing cocaine. <laughs> that was, I, I, la- I, mean, I laughed my that ass was, off. That was like advice to my past self, really. <laughs> but... Um, mm. Yeah, on on the subject of you know uh, illicit substances, I'm a, I'm a very boring person now, and um, yeah, yeah, obviously. And, well, to be honest, to be honest with you, like as far as like recreational drug use goes, I was very very anti like most of my life. Like my 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 come from a background where there's a lot of alcoholism in my family. Yeah. So as yeah. a as a kid, I was very much like, I am never doing that. I am yeah, never drinking. Yeah, both my grandfathers like, were alcoholics who killed themselves. Yep, yeah. So, you know, it kind of gives you a, it gives you an experience in life where you're like, I don't know that I want to do this thing. Yeah. So, unfortunately, though, it's also true of, of families with a genetic predisposition to alcoholism. You may feel that way as a child, but you are kind of, it's almost like written in the stars that you're at some point going to have to kind of confront that, um, yeah. you know, generational trauma and that and that demon or, or whatever you might want to call it. That's not the right word. I don't like using that word. The but you demon, know what I mean. John Barley. Um, the shadow. Uh, the shadow <laughs> knows. Exactly. The shadow but, knows. How great was that old Alec Baldwin movie, The Shadow? Dude, I've never seen it. I know about it. Oh, my God. I almost did a piss take. You, you have to watch that. You have to watch Maybe Alec I'll- Maybe I'll do that tonight. One of the Maybe best I comic will. book adaptations ever. And that was where I heard about Topaz. Really? Interesting. So you talk about that. I want to ask do. you one question before we get into Topaz, okay? Yes. Yes. So my parents were, my grandparents were fucked up alcoholics who killed themselves. My parents were abstinent as fuck Maharishi people who never touched anything ever. Mm-hmm. And me and my sister have what a psycho, psychologist told me was third generation syndrome which is the healing state so me and my sister both can handle whatever and it doesn't derail our lives yeah like, that's awesome we can take it we can leave it no big deal interesting right and that is apparently uh, something that only occurs in the third generation after a sequence of events so where have you been to in that cycle so like I i'm curious imagine- about entheogens and any other experimentation and when I'm curious specifically when and where you did it and in relation to it chip to what aspects of your spiritual development. Yeah. So, um, so because let me say one that, last thing. I didn't experiment seriously till my thirties. Yeah. So I would say definitely like experimentation, particularly with more, well, with, let's, let's put it this way. with plant medicine. Didn't happen for me until my like, late 20s okay so relatively recently really yeah so that's yeah that's very similar yeah and i think a big part of that um 
you know, I had struggled on and off. My 20s was just like a fucked up time. (laughs) I think most people kind of have like a, a weird experience in their 20s. But I feel like I got a late start. Like I was such a kind of boring, nerdy teenager and I didn't party. And I, you know, I went to like a a private single gender school and it was very, you know, there were girls at that school who did drink alcohol, but I was not one of them. You (laughs) went to an all girls school. Yeah. You know, I was too busy being in, in musical theater productions and other nerd, nerd shit. So, um, touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me. I want to be dirty. Exactly. Uh, except definitely not that because that would have horrified the Anglican. uh, Oh Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but I did start going to golf. It makes sense that you were a musical theater kid. Yeah, exactly. I cannot hold a tune though. So who knows how that worked. But, um, I, uh, I did start going to golf clubs when I was about 16 getting in illegally with a fake ID. Yeah. But even even during that whole time, I didn't drink. I just really wasn't interested. You yeah. know, I, I have a phobia still of being physically, like, sick of vomiting. So <laughs> that doesn't really go very well with, with teenage drinking experimentation if you have a phobia of vomit. So that prevented me from kind of experimenting with alcohol. And also it just seemed to make everybody a fucking moron. And I had grown up in an alcoholic household where it was awful. So... All of those things meant that even while I was going out and clubbing and spending all night, you know, dancing to Bauhaus and other shit, I, I wasn't really Bauhaus. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Ever listened to Einstutz and the Neubauten? I have, in fact. Yeah. So my, my last <laughs> guitarist in is an old club. friend of mine. My last guitarist for my last couple years of music performance who, who still records with me is my old buddy Gunter Schultz from KMFDM. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. See, if only I had been cooler, but I was just in the golf club and listening to these things. Um, But yeah, so none of that really happened until my 20s. I moved to New Orleans when I was 25, I think, maybe 24. And... um, I, you know, I had, I had done, yeah, I had smoked a little bit of weed before that and, and, you know, drunk a little bit, but nothing particular. And then I moved here and moving here, even though I had been practicing various forms of witchcraft and like chaos magic and other things from like from 13 or 14, moving here was sort of a big spiritual step. It, you know, not even, not in any kind of formal or organized way, but moving, you know, across the world at a young age, totally by yourself, kind of is, is spiritual in its own way. Oh, being fuck in yeah. This, fuck yeah. Being in this, yeah, you know, being in this city that has such a, a presence. I mean, New Orleans is, like, alive. I think all places are alive on some level, but, you know, this city is alive in a very aggressive way. <laughs> and, um, you know, the city will slap the shit out of you if you're fucking up, um, or it will draw you in. And, you know, the city destroys people. It really does. There's there's something very alive here and and very active spiritually. And it, it plays on people and it manipulates people and it works people. And it can be beautiful, also, also be very destructive. So all that to say, my working theory is that there are <clears throat> spirits in the land, on the land, are they the dead? Are they something older and deeper? I don't really know. But there's stuff in this city that is literally fed by 
drunk tourists. Like the more you drink, you know, the spirits are basically using you as a conduit. You drink, uh, the, the city is fucking happy because not only is it making money and capitalizing off people, but it's something energetically is happening. So all of this was a perfect, perfect recipe for disaster for someone with alcoholism in their family lineage. And um, I definitely went to some very bad places. So actually February 2nd um, of this year, I took my last drink and I will be six months sober on my birthday, the 3rd of August. And I will probably never take a drink ever again. Um, it, it really, it was probably something I needed to go through spiritually. It definitely took me to some places that were educational. <laughs> but I don't think alcohol particularly is a spiritually profound drug. Um, in the same way as say, you know, DMT might be or psilocybin might be. Alcohol I think I think drugs of all kinds, substances of all kinds are either connective or disconnective. And I definitely think alcohol is disconnective. But it's masquerading as a connective drug. And that's why everybody does it, right? That's why you go to a bar and you drink and you like get along with people. It's that illusion of connectivity, but actually it's it's extremely disconnective. So um that's my rant about alcohol. <laughs> and uh, other than that, I've really just, you know, you know, I experiment a little bit here and there. Or I smoke a little bit of weed for reasons similar to you, just as, a, you know, kind of unwinding process. I like and, to um, smoke weed and watch, like, romantic teen comedies and laugh my ass off. Yes, exactly. I mean, because yeah. my I brain just doesn't fucking stop. I just The Kissing That's Booth, too. <laughs> <laughs> I was pissing myself laughing the whole time. I was so stoned. I'm not ashamed to admit it, folks. Well, because seriously, my brain doesn't, like, I won't stop. I I don't know what it is, if it's something in my fucking birth chart or if it's just my personality or, but if I'm not working, I I have to have something to take me out of that, right? Otherwise, I'll just keep working. I'll stay up until four or five in the morning. Yeah, 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 I'm going to bust my ass. Me too. So, um... I need that. I need the, the off switch somehow. Yeah. I think that's why alcohol was, was so uh, useful for such a long time because there's nothing like getting blackout drunk to, to give you an off switch, you know? See, that was something <laughs> I never did. Whenever people talked about blackout drunk, I didn't understand what they meant. I think I, I, I wasn't oh. – it wasn't until I was like 37 that I mm. – for the first time I blacked out on alcohol. Mm-hmm. So it was just a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, shit, that's what people are talking about. It's a real thing. You actually do keep functioning, yeah. but you're blacked out. I didn't realize because yeah. I'm just a shitty – I'm a bad drinker, man. I'm a bad drinker. Like, you know, my friends will get a get a, get a 12-pack and uh-huh. I'll, by the time I've finished one cider, they've finished the rest. Yeah. And that's well, like so – that's the beauty, though, I guess, of you being that third generation is that you can do that. See, my problem was always – I don't think I'm a good drinker, but my metabolism, I think, moves really slowly. So I can drink, like, six tequilas and talk to you like I'm talking to you now. Like, you would not know yeah, that see, Yeah, I can, I can do that, too. People say, <laughs> yeah. I, friends say I have a hollow leg, but I think actually what it is is they don't notice how slowly I'm drinking. Yeah, yeah. I, well, see, I, I don't have that problem. It's like I, I, I drink for too. taste. That's why, I, that's why I like extremely expensive scotches, because... For me, it's about the flavor and the experience, and and like when I before I started drinking, sometimes I would order a drink when I was young, and I would just hold the cup and pull the energy out of it. 
See, I love that. And I think, I think that's how alcohol Well, I know I sound like a crazy enjoy. nut job saying that to some people. No, no. I think that's how it, I think that's how it, using the substance, how it was probably intended. And, you know, there was a certain point in my drinking career where that's kind of what I tried to do. I love cocktails. I've never really, I never drink at home. I never drank at home. I'm not somebody who, you know, would have beer in the fridge or, or wine in the house and I would drink at home with, with friends or by myself. I was always a bar drinker. And for me, it was really oh, about... Interesting. It, yeah, and it was an attempt to connect, truly. It was like, I want wow. to connect with people. Really? I want, I want to have conversations. I want to meet strangers because there are a lot of interesting people who hang out in bars in New Orleans. Um, and I enjoyed cocktails. So it was like, I'm going to go to a fancy cocktail bar. I'm going to have like... <laughs> seven mezcal cocktails oh wow see see what interesting people i can talk to but then of course i would also do very stupid things like say and now i'm okay to drive myself home so it was you know a bad situation for me and um i i miss it in some ways because i do miss that whimsy of you know what am i getting you know it, again, it's this, this addiction for me, I think, of, of potential or, or possibility. You know, who am I going to meet? Who am I going to talk to? What kind of adventure am I going to have? It's and the, the alcohol was sort of an excuse yeah. for that or a gateway to that. But it's but it's an illusion. It's a lie. I mean, I'm having that adventure with you right now, and I'm sober as a judge. In, you know? in philosophy, it's called the uh, objet petit a. Have you heard that? Mm, I have not. So that's really good. You, you should look at some uh, Jacques Lacan, who's a philosopher but also oh, a yeah, psychoanalyst. Yeah. yeah. So he talks yeah. about the objet a and the objet petit a. It's the 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 other and the little other. And it's the idea, and it, it's actually best summed up in a pop song. <laughs> it's best summed up by the phrase, more, more, more. How do you like it? How do you yeah. like it? More, more. <laughs> that is the philosophical idea behind it. Uh, I do I do write about that in my book. Um, but it's the idea of we want to connect with the other. And the other essentially mm-hmm. is always spirit, right? We yeah. are we are nature, but nature is interpenetrated with spirit. These are the yeah. pre-categories of existence, essentially. There's not much else that you could really say is a pre-category. Everything else mm-hmm. is realities interpreted by our brain as we right. perceive it. But there is nature. That's undeniable. And you could even maybe stretch that so far as to say there is also, therefore, spirit, which is basically the extension of nature naturing. Nature is natured, mm-hmm. and nature is naturing. This is from uh, Wolfgang Goethe, if you know Goethe. So he talks I don't, about. Yeah. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe is the, the seminal German philosopher, and he wrote Faust. Ah, okay, okay. He wrote, Zwei Seele leben in meine Brüsten. Two souls live within my breast. And uh, the idea of natura naturata and natura naturans, the idea of nature naturing and nature natured. So nature naturing is the spirit that creates nature, and nature natured is nature as we know it. But anything Mm -hmm. other than that is really signals interpreted by our brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... It's, it's an interesting, it's been an interesting journey to kind of work past all of that and to try and uncover what, what, you, what I was doing it for, you know, what the purpose was philosophically um, and to come at it from that angle. And, I, you know, I do think, to, to be frank with you, I think quarantine is actually very helpful because straight up there are no bars I can go to. They're all closed. So but <laughs> that you, must, you must sort of wish that during quarantine 
you had been a drug dealer because you would be so rich right now. Oh, my God. How rich have (laughs) drug dealers become during quarantine? Well, yeah, I mean, holy cow. Um, But, you know, to to speak to your earlier point about about the DMT that you did not do, certainly not on American soil. DMT is not real. It's just pizza. (laughs) Uh, It's sold in cabinets that you can buy from Wayfair.com. Oh, my God. I went there. Oh, my God. (laughs) Dude, that shit is so real. Dude, dude, uh, dude, the world's run um, by pedophiles. What the fuck? I didn't know. I didn't know. Oh my god. Oh my god. Um, but you know, I've never, I've never done DMT. The closest I've come to sort of that tier or, or category of, of drug or plant medicine is psilocybin, and I did psilocybin two well, times. In my opinion, that's um, the best one. Pardon me. In my opinion, that's the best one. Psilocybin. Yeah, I think that's that's my favorite entheogen. Ah, interesting. Oh yeah, I mean, I can re- I regularly do five to ten grams of mushrooms without problem. So I I did them. This is a kind of a funny story. Um, I never did do them like as a fun thing. And actually, having done them now, I don't know how people do do them for fun. Like I, I mean, oh, I, I know, I just right? Mu- <laughs> Dude, you want to do? You want to fuck up your life? Do a bunch of mushrooms and walk around a city, dude. Right? You're gonna die. Ah. Oh my God, just, the demons I will must, get you. I must just be wired in a very different way. Or maybe, it, you know, like you said, maybe it has to do with, you know, the, the kinds of experiences that you've had on a spiritual level or, or the how deep you've, you've gone inside yourself. But um, I can't conceive of taking any amount of mushrooms and, like, being outside around people, like, at a music festival. No. That sounds like Horrible. the worst fucking experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did do I, mushrooms I when I went to Tool one time. And the show was great, but walking home through the city, I oh. I almost killed myself because I ran into people who were just so cruel to me for no reason. Yep, yep. It also just seems like a waste of time. Like the the, the beauty of that particular medicine. You should do mushrooms a- naked <laughs> at a beach under the moonlight. Yeah, or you know, like just anywhere, but a fucking music festival. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Jesus Christ. Um, exactly. The two times I did them, the first time I was kind of bullied into it, I, and I say that with love, but um, <laughs> my, my partner sort of rightly was teasing me because I am kind of a square, and I, I am, you know, my life for a long time was, was very ruled by anxiety, and we had these mushrooms, and he wanted to do them, and I did not, and I was just like, yeah, it's not a good time, like, I don't really want to, and one night, he just like, he was like, look, get fucking over it, get over yourself, just do the fucking thing. Um, and it was almost like baiting me. Like, it was like a game of chicken. Like, you're scared. And finally I was like, fuck it, fine. I'll just do the fucking mushrooms. Which, to be honest with you, is not a good mindset to go into uh, a mushroom trip with, you know, this kind of defiant, like, fine, I'm not scared. You know, like a five-year-old child. But I did. And I had, um, I did not have fun. But, yeah. So this was one like, of the two times you've done them. Yeah, and neither time was fun. But but like you oh, said shit. earlier, like you said earlier, I don't I don't consider it to be a bad trip. Other people might have called it that, but I learned things that were very necessary to learn, and I saw things that were very necessary to see. And it was terrifying. And I did. Um, I have a very weak stomach. You know, I my physical body is just fucking broken so i did yeah. feel incredibly incredibly unwell <laughs> I know what you mean. Time. yeah 
Uh, oh, you know, everyone, was, everyone was like, it'll pass. You know, you'll feel nauseous for 10 minutes and then I'll go away. No, that was like eight hours solid of the worst nausea of my life. But um, certainly that first trip was all about working through that. It was working through the fear. Like at one point I saw a giant cockroach and the giant cockroach was like, what is fear? What are you really afraid of? Yep. You don't have to be afraid. What if you just weren't you know and I remember at the time being like this is terrifying like where am I I was not in my body I was not in my room I was somewhere else and this cockroach was talking to me about fear and I was like I've lost my fucking mind um and I will never come back from this but since that experience which was a couple of years ago now my anxiety has been nowhere near the debilitating level that it had gotten to at that point I I went into that mushroom trip um you know, I, I do come from a very, like, abusive um, background, which includes, unfortunately, a, f a fair amount of sexual abuse. And that trip didn't take any of those experiences away. It didn't completely untraumatize me. But it allowed me to live my day-to-day -day life without the absolutely persistent, aggressive anxiety that had really been controlling me oh, for wow. a long, long time. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. That is amazing. I mean, I'm not... I'm not in a rush to do it again. You know, again, people have said to me, well, like, oh, do you want to do this? I hope you do it. I hope you do it, like, maybe in a really powerfully, like, ritualistic set and setting kind of way next time. Yes, yeah, I would love that. Like, because I, that's going in for, with intentionality is so powerful. Yeah. When, if I go yeah. in with three questions, I come out with three answers that to other people, those answers would make no sense. But to me, they change my life. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's what I, I want out of that experience if I'm going to go through it again. Because to me, it is, it's a commitment. You're committing to, I mean, it's, it sounds so new agey and hippie, but you're committing to take on the energy and that it, the, the teachings, the wisdom of that plant, right? Um, and I don't think you should do that lightly or for no. fun or just because your boyfriend uh, teases you about it. <laughs> Probably yeah. should do it for better reasons than that. But, you know, if I can if I can have that tier of experience, even not in a therapeutic or a ritual setting, uh, intentionality, I'm sure, would dial that up to a million, you know? The saying that someone said to me recently, a friend of mine in England said, um, you should go into things like DMT with, with, with uh, a mentality that I would characterize in it. Like Kierkegaard says, with uh, fear and trembling. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. And because, uh, because... that was the mentality I actually adopted for the second time only ever when I had that Ezekiel experience I told you about. Because oh before that, I was going in with a sense of confidence and knowledge about what I'm capable of, and huh. that was not serving me particularly well. Yeah, it's it's intriguing, huh? And I mean, I think it's particularly intriguing now that these substances are being um, clinically tested for you know, healing purposes, which of course is is nothing new, but apparently new to the West or newish uh, in a in a capitalist way. But um, it it is this infinite potential, really. Uh, I, but that, that's as far as I've ever gone. You know, I've, I've obviously not done ayahuasca, DMT, acid, none of those things. Interest, interested about acid uh, because definitely I don't have any that I could explore. Uh, it, that's not a thing that exists anywhere in my house um, at all. But, you know, 
that's something I'm slightly interested in, but perhaps less so because it is sort of lab synthesized. I don't know if it's going to be the same tier of experience as uh, as the psilocybin. I'm not sure. Have you have you explored that avenue? Uh, acid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, acid saved my life. I was going to kill myself actually. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. In 2013, uh, 2014, over Christmas. Uh, Jason Augustus Newcomb just wrote to me, he's delaying till tomorrow because he's getting tired, which I'm glad because <laughs> the idea of doing another three-hour interview after this one with you is is a little overwhelming. I would do yeah. it if I had to because I'm a workaholic, but I'm glad we're delaying till tomorrow. That's good because that means we also have as much time as we want. Yay. Um, yeah, now you can uh, now you can rest tonight and, and watch some silly teen shows. You know? <laughs> I, I, that, that, that's not a common practice of mine though. No. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm actually in the middle of recording an academic lecture on Francis A. Yates is a study of the Italian Renaissance uh, that I'll oh, probably well, get back to after. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, tell me, tell me about this, uh, this, this. So my best friend situation. killed herself after we did my last major single recording together and she was Ooh. 22 and, uh, oh my God. and I was, destroyed by it because she was the only friend I had who really had been through the same sort of family abuse that I had been, who really mm-hmm. understood it. It's nuanced shit sometimes, right? Like really right. nuanced to the point at which you're, if you try, you can't even talk about it with your family because if you do, they just say, you don't bother coming to Christmas, which right, right. is when I tried to talk to them about it that Christmas literally is what happened. And I've never been to a Christmas with my family since. Oof. Yeah. Oof. oof. And they said that. They said, no, you're done. We're never going to see you again. And Jesus. I was distraught because my best friend had killed herself. And she had been abused by her family in horrific ways. And um, for a few months, I was not doing so well. And uh, I was doing whatever magic I could. But eventually, and I, I went actually went into counseling with a good therapist to, to talk about it. Um, and I was also talking about the family shit going on at the same time because my sister had come out about sexual abuse, asked me to support her. I supported her. The family said, recant or you're out. She recanted. I said, what about what the fuck? And they're like, you're just gone. And I've never seen her since. I've never seen my family since. Um, and people know this already, so I'm not giving any new information. My life's not really, uh, one that you should be ever jealous of. Um, and I, uh, went to a party with my friend who was, uh, famous musician and uh this guy sold me gave me a tab of acid then he sold me one for 15 dollars. So that was two tabs then three hours later when it was kicking in hardcore like to mm-hmm. a level i didn't know was possible and it was the first time i'd really done it i'd done it one week year old tab a couple years earlier five years earlier in belfast with my oto girlfriend at a, a thelemic oasis in belfast and you know nice. it was weak but when it kicked in we fucked like rabid dogs for 10 hours and then watched <laughs> the office and Jim was talking to me personally and I lost my shit because you know the characters were actually talking to me until I realized oh I'm tripping and so I hadn't <laughs> had much experience with it and the by the time it kicked in hardcore at this party I noticed I found, I was sitting on the couch and there was this guy passed out sprawled through the cushions and he was the acid dealer and his box of acid tabs about 100 of them were scattered all over the couch and floor and he was out and I was so high I didn't know what I was doing I just started eating them no 
And then I was like, I ate about six or seven tabs. And then I was like, I should give these to other people. So I went around the party of about 200 people in East Vancouver, handing out 90 tabs of acid. And the party lasted for a very long time after that. Oh my God. I don't, I think I made it with every kind of human being that exists. And Delightful. eventually I, at one point the next, around noon the next day, someone was having a bad trip and running around naked in the yard and people were trying to run interference so that the cops didn't show up. And I was like, it's time to go. And so I walked to the Sky Train, which is like our, our, our underground train, but it's above the city. Everything in Vancouver is very naturalistic. It's the, the sea bus, the Sky Train, you know, <laughs> the mountain elk. Eagle wings. Dude, Vancouver is a sci-fi pleasure dome um, with way too much rent and uh, very little uh, eh, whatever. But, so, you know, I get on the Sky Train and I went through, the, and the, I thought it was over. My trip was over. It was just beginning. Oh, my God. And I spent, I got, I, for some reason, I decided to go see my, my mom and my sister because it, that made oh. sense. And so I went to their apartment downtown rather than going to my house, which I had a great house around at the university um, with a bunch of other really great academics. I don't know why I didn't go home, but I was like, oh, I, I love my family. I should go see my family. So I buzz in and for some reason they didn't answer for a couple hours. So I sat down and then I realized I was dead. Oh my God. And I sat there outside the building for like two and a half hours. And on the way there, I ran into a musician buddy who I talked to. And a couple of days later, I talked to him and he said, "Why did, I was sorry you couldn't jam at the time. I'm like, dude, do you know I was like on 10 tabs of acid? He's like, no, you look totally normal and had a very cogent <laughs> conversation with me. He's like, I've never seen you more sane and rational in my life. I'm like, yo, dude, I was gone. And wow. he was like, whoa, whoa. And he's like a fundamentalist Christian musician buddy of mine. And he was like, that's mm. pretty hardcore though. And Earlier on in his life, he had he had gone through some heavy crack stuff when his wife, mm-hmm. who was a First Nations, got pregnant. And that, that's a whole other story. So he, he's been through the ringer before his Christian rebirth. But that was funny that I could be that fucked up and no one noticed it. And eventually I buzzed again and my mom and sister answered. And I said, hey, it's Elgwin, and or it's me. And they said, you're back? I was like, what do you mean? They're like, you were here a few hours ago. You came up and you said you needed some things, took a bunch of stuff and left. Oh my God. And I was like, I don't remember that. And they're like, yeah. And I looked oh in my, my pockets God. and there's all these things like crystals and, and, and like a stuffed bunny. And I, I didn't know <laughs> what was there. I was like, Oh shit. Can I come in? They're like, yeah, they buzzed me in. And I, I, I walked to the elevator, and I didn't understand how it works, so I walked, went to the staircase, and I walked up the staircase, got to the top door, and I looked at the door handle, and I turned it, and it was open, but I, I thought it was locked. So I walked back down the stairs, and when I got back to the bottom of the stairs, I didn't remember why I was there, and I went back up, and I did that for about two and a half hours. And eventually, I left the building, walked up a block, Forgot why I was walking up a block and realized I was meant to go back to my my mom's and sister's and walk back down the block. And I did that for about three hours, up and down the same block. And then eventually I got back into their apartment, 
told them I loved them and passed out in the bed and went into one of the deepest psychedelic sleeps I could have ever imagined in which I went into the deepest layers of the cosmos that have ever existed and I saw at the core of my being the brilliant light of true love and at the core of that true love I saw this dark little twisted thing which was the sin that exists in every human being and even within that this voice said even that thing in you that is dark and dead and evil is loved and I broke apart into a million fragments and I never have thought about wanting to die ever since the world has been a beautiful and miraculous place ever since and when I told the counselor I had that experience he said this is an example of why I think it's a shame that people like me cannot recommend psychedelic experiences for people who are experiencing suicidal thoughts in a very real way after severe traumas like losing your best friend to suicide because he said you are exhibiting all the best possible side effects that you could ever want from psychedelic indulgence he said you're showing the same signs that are the best thing you could ever hope for from say electroshock therapy or something like that and he said it's a shame that I can never recommend this to anyone. Okay, so what happened there? Oh, yeah, I was just saying the uh, the, the lizard people Wayfair pedo pizza party are like uh, suppressing they, suppressing they our truth, off. man. <laughs> Zuckerberg didn't like how truthy we got. We got zucked. We got zucked. Um, Boy, um, howdy. Well, I don't yes, know if you anyways, heard the end of the story or not. I, I got up to, uh, you know, you, you had this amazing sort of dream experience and, you know, your therapist was saying, you know, yeah. it's a shame I can't prescribe this. Yeah, and, yeah, he's he considers it sad. And that's what ga- happened to Gabber Mate, the doctor who was doing ayahuasca treatments for, like, lifelong hardcore crack addicts, and he was curing over 80% of them over mm-hmm. a long period of time and they the Canada just shut that down. They're like, sorry, sorry. And the truth is, of course, because, you know, the governments want people homeless and addicted. They really do want that. That yep. is that is a goal of our governments. And people need to wake up to that. No, absolutely. I don't know if you've seen or uh it's it's on Netflix and it was a, a big deal not too long ago, but there's a documentary on Netflix called uh I think it's called The Pharmacist. And it's, uh, it's oh, I, about, I watched that. That's that was super long. Yeah, yeah. The, like it's a five part or six part uh, documentary, but it's it's about the opio- opioid crisis in Louisiana specifically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was. I mean, I, I knew a bit about that because I live here. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen it, and I've seen what it does um, to people. And you know, I have I have friends who passed away from opioid addiction. But um, oh shit, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just everywhere here. I never would have imagined it, again, growing up in Australia and the UK at the time that I did, where, as we said earlier, you can't get drugs in Australia, or you couldn't in the 90s easily. Moving here, every second person that I met either had used heroin or or knew someone who had, you know, or or was using fentanyl or other sort of heavy, heavy heavy-duty opioids uh, and opiates. It's, It's so... Prevalent. I was at and a music rock party once, an uh, after party with some very well-known musicians, shall we say. Uh-huh. Um, never made it as a wise man. And <laughs> and this one girl was saying, I'm not doing any of the drugs you have unless, you're, unless your Coke has fentanyl in it. I only do Coke with fentanyl. Wow. 
well, that's a fucking stupid idea. I had never heard someone say that. I was like, isn't it a bad thing if there's fentanyl in your drugs? And, <laughs> and, and the idea that there's people out there who only want drugs with fentanyl, I was like, what the fuck is happening? I w- right. I, did, I, did I miss the memo? Right, exactly. It's really uh, yeah, sad. I mean, it's, and it's, and it's, it's manufactured it's, by these industries that are also banning the use of psychedelic and entheogenic medicines that could cure it. Yeah, yeah, because it's because it's not profitable, and that's that's the thing. And I mean, I think that's why I'm so sympathetic to certain air quotes conspiracy theories. Is that you know, when you start realizing that I don't think you need to put air quotes on the phrase conspiracy no, theory. Mean, you know, at this point, but you know, everything is designed to make someone richer, and it's probably not you or I. And when you recognize that that is the the driving force behind just about everything in the world, it's uh, it's really easy to believe some of these, even some of the more outlandish uh, th- theories. You know, uh, I don't know. I think it's all it's all fucked. The best we can do is uh, is practice these these paths and accrue this knowledge that can hopefully help us have a more enlightened reality experience and, and hopefully share that with others. You know, I think that's the best shot we've got. At this point, I mean, they're certainly not going to elect you or I into into public office, probably. So um, we got to make do with what we got. Public office? Oh my god! I'd rather not, anyway. To be honest with you, it sounds like a headache. Uh, my mom worked in politics for uh, kind of half her career. She worked in in media for half her career, and then she worked in politics. And uh, watching that, oof, no, no, thank you. Not something I want to do. Yeah, right. Just a headache, such a headache, um, and such a circle jerk, you know. But let's let's not get onto politics though, because yeah, good lord, god. <laughs> oh, no. oh god, um, yeah. where, where to even start? And you know, yeah. I, I I I'm a conscientious uh, democratic objector because I can't vote. So what I think doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a Canadian clergyman, so it's illegal for me to comment on politics in a public forum. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, you know, I know we're we're probably winding winding down the conversation, but I am curious. What? Um, we have time. What led you? Ironically, the more longer we go, the more people will listen for some fucked up reason. There you go. We're going to be number one. <laughs> Hey man, got to uh, knock Sabrina off that pedestal. She's yeah, that's her, her, my, goal. my interview I, with her double has still to this day doubles every other thing. Sabrina is a very uh, you know enchanting, charismatic, um, you know sort of hypnotic person. I think. And the fact uh, that we've it, talked about her means that we'll boost that episode even more. Right? So we have no chance exactly. of unseating her. Well, she's also go listen to the episode, everybody. <laughs> yeah, go listen. Yeah, she's also she's on her social media game to a massive extent. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, you who know, doesn't Sabrina want to listen I, to a PhD candidate in philosophy of technology talking about tarot? That's hardcore. That's I mean, hardcore. Just. And it's um and it's unique, you know, amongst the kinds of uh, podcasts one usually sees on the topic of tarot. Well, a lot of that's are, just super flaky, right? Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of not a lot of stuff that's sort of deep dive, but deep dive, I think, in an accessible way. That's what I like about Sabrina and the work that she uh, that that she does. You know, it is it's it's academic and it's it's deep and it's 
no bullshit, of course, which is the brand, but it's also, it is accessible. It's not kind of coming from this highfalutin place where we're going to go you, you talk a mile a minute in ways that your average person just can't possibly hope to, uh, hope to understand. It's, I love the fact very, that she sold out a course that cost $1,400. Dude. So right yes, on, right? Like we all, should all yes. aim for that shit. And, um, and, you know, Sabrina turned me on to this, to, to the kind of philosophy and spirituality of business, which is something that I had never really considered. You know, I, you, you pick up those books in, in, again, your, your local Barnes and Noble, the kind of like, think like a rich man books. And it's, I was always We call that indigo in Canada or chapters. Right, like I roll, I roll, I roll, whatever. <laughs> um, the Art of the Deal or whatever. The Art of the Deal. Know. You mentioned like the <laughs> worst book ever thing. written on the subject. <laughs> but you know, I was I was thought it was a little bit cringe and um a little I don't bit? think I was, a, a lot cringe. And I don't think I was averse to it. Um I'm I'm not someone who believes that spirituality is divorced from the material, like a big part of my, my teachings, if you want to call them that. Uh we are we're in a meat suit, right? We're having a fucking material experience. We live in a capitalist system which demands that we pay attention to the material more than than we might otherwise have to. So I don't think that we should um, or even can separate the spiritual from the material. And so I don't think it's wrong. Well, the idea that there's a, a separation of matter and spirit is, is a artificial right. I mean, dualism that's, that's not actually necessarily scientifically accurate. Right, exactly. Did you, did, um, I told this to many people, but I want to say it to you now because we're actually just having a conversation. You know, you know, yeah. uh, you know Penrose, the famous scientist? Yeah. 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 He says he doesn't like being called a materialist. And the reason is because we don't yet know what that matter is. Ooh, I like that. Right? That's hardcore. Yeah, I like that. And you know, that that is a, a, a stance, I think, that's that's lacking in science a little bit these days. And again, this is something that you touch on in, in the eponymous <laughs> uh, talk with Sabrina. But um, that idea of science no longer necessarily being inquisitive or, or operating in a, in a liminal space of sort of questioning, but rather being the sort of firm thing. I mean, there's nothing I hate more than a science bro, right? And they're every fucking way right now. People who are like, but we know this because science. And it's like, no, we have a theory that we're pretty sure is true because of science. Right. <laughs> we don't, we don't I mean, know it. We used to think the world was round, but now we know it's flat. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't been to those conventions? I have to watch that documentary, actually, Flat Earth was Oh, God, it's brilliant. There's this one point in it where they're like, the guy's like, so are there any educators or uh, or academics or scholars or scientists who are part of the Flat Earth movement? And the, the leader of the movement responds, strangely not. And I'm not <laughs> sure why, but I think it has something to do with the agendas of the the of the of the disinformation of the ruling class. I'm like, uh, I don't like. Whoa. Yeah, sure, that's why someone <laughs> fell off the stupid tree and hit every branch. Do you know this is isn't this the fascinating thing though? Um, and, you know, we've been weaving in and out this whole time um, of of this kind of allusion to and discussion of conspiracy, but um, it's so fascinating that. We're at a point in human history where the left, the far left, and the far right are somehow sort of meeting in the middle about these these sort of government conspiracy theories. It's it's really wild to me. I, I moderate a spiritual Facebook group, and I cannot for many reasons say which, but I moderate a Facebook group um, 
for a spiritual teacher who is has some level of notoriety. And um, mm. that group is full, full of people who are just coming up with the craziest shit. Wow. <laughs> Every day it's a post about mask wearing or not mask wearing or Wayfair child cabinets or, you know, some wow. very intense thing. And these people are all over the map politically. You know, you have the people who are, are definitely bizarrely far right for people who believe in, you know, auras and, you know, alien DNA and, and all sorts of other shit. But then you also have the incredibly left-leaning sort of social justice people. It's very interesting to see how it's all sort of intersecting. I don't understand it, really. I, I kind of thought that the far right was much more dogmatic spiritually and religiously speaking, and the left was where we had all this sort of woo-woo, new age stuff going on, but that appears to not be the case, which I find very interesting. Yeah, there's dum-dums across the spectrum. <laughs> now you summed up succinctly yeah. what I spent ten minutes saying. But, um, <laughs> but isn't, isn't that weird, though? Like, I, I just... I had always been raised to believe that very conservative people were, were likely to be fundamentalist Christian. And it increasingly seems that conservative people are falling into this more sort of, for want of a better term, new age kind of exploration. Uh, it, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's intriguing. Yeah. I, I don't really I ha- understand I have, it. I have a very – I don't really have a relationship to the whole right and left thing you guys have here in the States because I grew up in a three-party system. So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. like – it's the same bullshit, just like way more complicated. And as yeah. a result, we're like, okay, clearly everyone here is an idiot um, and uh, they're all assholes and we, we don't really like or trust any of them in Canada. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we just elect the guy who has the best abs. Apparently, no matter how many times he does blackface. Well, you've done a good job. In the <laughs> he's, abs a, part. he's a pretty so. version of Donald Trump. Oh God! Uh, yeah, I have to say, I know very little about Canadian politics uh, aside from the fact that everybody thinks Trudeau is a, a thirst trap. That's pretty much my understanding. Yeah, which is, yeah, he can get it. Yes, certainly I mean, he can. And he can get it from white people. <laughs> Because he's white, and he can get it from black people. Because sometimes he looks black. Oh God! And Indians, because sometimes he look is, looks Indian. He likes oh, has. It's so much fun. How could he remember how many times he has done it? Oh my God! What oh my ter- God! Right? It's so fucking terrible nuts. Person. And that shit. All that shit came out just before the election, and we reelected mm-hmm. him with a landslide. Yeah, now that's fascinating too, isn't it? Though, like, I, and I feel like we're delving into a. We elected the abs, my here. friend. It's all about well, the abs. I mean, fair enough. Uh, for, for that reason alone, I will never hold office in Canada. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is an ab? Who knows? Do I have them? No. Oh my! We all have them. Uh, mine are just uh, concealed <laughs> They're <here> somewhere. <laughs> I, mine are hidden like a ninja below an inch of cellulite. Yeah. There you go. I, I'm just going to blame that yet again on, on my immune and genetic conditions because yeah. it gives me very poor muscle tone. Uh, that's the beauty of having Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and no connective tissue or crappy connective tissue. But, um, yeah, I don't know. This this The canceling is interesting, right? Like, it's interesting what you say about Trudeau and, and these things coming out prior to the election. No one but cared. Seeming, yeah, seemingly that hasn't – it hasn't – 
really given him too much backlash at all. Like I remember, I remember reading, you know, one or two articles about it when it first became a thing and everyone was horrified. But it seems like it's just sort of gone away, and now people yeah. are like, "Well, that's yes, whatever." You know, we, we, what a lovable buffoon. That's fine. <laughs> you know? um, and it's interesting to watch. I mean, I think something that 2020 is really highlighting is the the group desire for blood man like the group desire for um vengeance is is, is running rampant right well, now you remember also when mel gibson said that thing backstage about hollywood being run on baby's blood and he means it literally like they actually sell yeah. and trade baby's blood and everyone thought he was like talking shit but now it's like wait what that's like maybe true yeah dude i i i struggle so much i i went on a road trip to this story macaulay culkin doing all those pizza songs was he clowning these people (laughs) i have to confess that i haven't like looked too much into pizzagate simply because at first blush it seemed absolutely ludicrous and so i haven't then you uh, look at soros uh, like soros and like hillary clinton's emails like why are they talking about pizza and spending all this money on pizza all the time then you got miley cyrus and all these people are like pizza 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 and the the (laughs) the tegan and john legend shit it's like talking about little babies and eating what the fuck it's like either all of hollywood and politics are clowning us and joking back with us but then there's that chick, that chick. Um, what's her name? Abra, Abra, Abramovic, who like? Oh, Marina Abramovic. Yeah. Yeah, and like some people are saying that she's she's Ghislaine Maxwell's transitioned brother, who was allegedly dead, but actually transitioned to a woman. Oh my god, I have not heard that. Oh my god, I, I think that is the most true. That has definitely got the most truthiness. I uh, I certainly did. I, I did become aware of Marina's alleged involvement in Pizzagate because of the spiritual the sp- group that I moderate. <laughs> because spirit, somebody was like, haven't Jenner's you heard, man? man? Yeah, haven't you heard? She does these performance pieces where she's totally just like doing satanic blood but rites. she has these private um, dinners and invites all these people who are posting the same references to young children and pizzas. And the dinners are about taking in the spirit and she says, oh, no, we're just joking about cannibalizing, extracting blood full of adrenaline from tortured, sexually abused young children. And that's just a joke. That's just an art performance piece. But then she also said it's only a joke and art when it's done publicly. In private, it's magic. Oh she my said God. that. I got to look this up when what we get off this call because I'm like, what the heck? I'll tell you. I'll tell I just you found this, out like, all this shit in the last week. I'm so late to the game. <laughs> People on Instagram I know are, have been shaking their heads at me for a while. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm busy with my actual ritual practice. I'm right. busy with turning Yates's half-baked initiations into functional ones. I'm I'm busy. I'm busy. Right. I don't but have then time for I dove eight, into eight, it and I'm like, I dove into it with a hypercritical mind. And someone who I, I love, Franz Barden, and he's very much about be hypercritical, don't be mm-hmm. too believing. Even on Dean Unfortunate, mm-hmm. is like don't don't go into shit believing it's true. And I've never right. taken that. I like I like to test the fuck out of myself in everything I do. But then I look at some of this data. I look at forty hours of data and 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 content, and it's like, oh my god, there's something going on, man. There's something going on. 
I mean, I'll say this, um, and again, you know, with, with the caveat that my venture down this particular rabbit hole has, has been preliminary at best. So anyone listening to this can know that this is not my fully formalized, <laughs> rational thoughts on the subject. I would have to look deeper. But when you look at, um, dare I say his name, Jeffrey Epstein, and, Who's and that? the... What? <laughs> you had me for a second. Did you see that? I was like, what? what do you think? I know. That's that uh, good old wow. Canadian deadpan. See, I'm super. It's almost British. That. You should terrible. cop on. Uh, <laughs> but when you look at that, right, um, and you look at how that particular part of the story, and I think that we can accept at this point that that is a that is the tip of an iceberg. We don't know what the iceberg looks like entirely, but it is the tip for sure. Um, everybody has kind of accepted that that's probably going on. Like, I've heard nobody say, nah, Jeffrey Epstein's, like, fine. I Like, I've literally no one has said that, as far as I'm aware, um, unless it's somebody who's sort of invested in defending him, and we shall not say well, their names. What I found really fishy about the, the documentary was how uh-huh. they focused on him being the main bad guy, and everyone else around him was, like, a victim, including the guy who gave him all his money. It's like, what? Yeah, totally. What? So totally. he's in charge. Because he's in charge. Bill Clinton flies on his jet twenty six times, and he's in charge. Right. No. But Fucking, you, know, that's, that's you think the, the Queen of England doesn't like, know what's going on? How convenient that the oh, wow! I'm gonna. I sound like one of them now. But um, how convenient that this documentary comes out. You know, very slick, very well produced, very easily accessible um, on Netflix, which at this point is you know the lowest common denominator of, of where one might. Well, it's Project Mockingbird at its finest, isn't it? Isn't every single and, thing put out by now? After he's dead, right? So, like, he's the perfect scapegoat. Of course it was all Jeffrey Epstein. We don't have to worry about him anymore. He's gone. Uh, you know, he's the, he's responsible for all of this. And there, there's absolutely, definitely no network of rich pedophiles. It's just this one guy doing some terrible shit. And, you know, I think as... Uh, well, did you, know, you hear about the ranch outside of D.C.? Yeah. That was closed yeah. down right after the shit happened? Yeah, I yeah, did. It's like, it's, it's... I can't believe it, man. I can't believe I was so unaware of all of this for so long. Because every time someone well, tried to tell me about it, I would just think, you're fucking nuts. I, I think, you know, I, and I said this to my partner the other day, those of us who experienced um, child abuse, and particularly those of us who experienced any kind of child abuse that might have, um, you know, gone in a, a sexual abuse direction, which, you know, you had said earlier on the podcast that, that your sister had potentially had some experiences. She said that, that for a minute, then it got too real. Right. And then the family but, threatened her. So you look at that, right? And you look at how common that is and how common stories of abuse are within families. This why is- are we why are we out here thinking that it's not happening on a on a macro scale yeah. you know, with, with powerful figures? If we accept that it goes on in our own backyards fucking constantly because Exactly we have we have a problem <laughs> apparently as a species with not leaving children alone, then um, why do we think that it's beyond the realm of possibility that powerful men, mostly men, let's be fair, Ghislaine's involved, so hey. Well, um, the Tegan girl? I, I don't know anything about Tegan girl. What? What's, the, what's the girl, John Legend's girlfriend, who just deleted a million uh, Twitter posts about loving pizza and the way that young babies look sexy and she wants to eat them? 
my god what oh my god you have to check this out oh my god it's so insane (laughs) it's so insane oh my god God, you have to check that out chrissy dude it's fucking nuts She's, and the other thing, you know, like it's, it's just, it is, it is everywhere. I, the other day, um, I was on Instagram, which is, you know, one of the, pretty much the major platform that I work from. Yeah. It's the only one I'm on. And, yeah. And a, and a follower of mine whose, whose name I forget, which is terrible. Sorry if they're listening to this and I've forgotten your name, but. I'm sure no one's going to listen to this at all. It's, it's, we're, we're deep in the weeds now. So if they've made I'll it that hashtag far, it hello, and we'll get zero <laughs> listens. <laughs> but they they messaged me this um, post from somebody else's Instagram account, and I forget the username. But this person was like, "Hey, I just really I, I think you should be aware of this." It was like four in the morning as well. I think you should be aware of this. Um, this account exists, and you, and you really should report it. And what it was is an account allegedly run by moms, and it was just like hundreds of pictures of young children, like probably under the age, all of them under the age of like 11 in like leotards, like gymnast children and ballerina children, but most of them in flesh colored leotards, many of them in very, um, you know, what for an adult would be an explicit position or, you know, pose. And this whole account, you know, was like, Oh, we just are fans of gymnastics. And like this account is run by moms and it was four in the morning. I was already having trouble sleeping. I have a lot of <laughs> abuse in my background. And for a minute, I was just like, fuck you for messaging me this at four in the morning. I didn't need to see this shit. <laughs> like, I know this exists in the world. I don't want to be confronted with it right the fuck now when I'm trying to go to sleep. Yeah. But, you know, this, this happens. This is happening on major platforms, social media platforms that can't get their shit under control. Again, do we think that's happening? And other shadowy behind the scenes shit with incredibly wealthy people is not like, I don't know. Exactly. So we think the scale is smaller than it is. Right. Right. After I did my, uh, academic lecture recording this morning, which I had done Uh with by like, I'm, I'm on my ideal cycle. So I'm waking up around five to seven and getting tons of work done by noon. And after I had done my work, yeah, I love it. I fucking love that cycle. Um, I love being passed out in bed by 8 o'clock at night. That's my favorite thing ever. Oh, my. The only problem is then I can't go float in the hot tub in the Egyptian courtyard with the bats flying above me at night. Ah, jealousy. I know. I'm in in a really horrible environment where I get to do that. Um, I mean, no, I do get to do that. I also have people breaking in my room and robbing all my shit every couple weeks. Um, yeah, that's less Yeah, and people like I've got a roommate who Ubers incessantly, and then once in a while has a breakdown because he's bipolar and pushes me against walls while screaming at me for twenty minutes until I start oh. filming him. Yeah. Plus, there's the other shit which I actually did tell you I discovered, which has put my life in severe jeopardy. But other than all of yeah. that stuff, I watched the movie Spotlight again, which is about the expose on the Catholic priest pedophiles in Boston back. Yes, I started watching that movie and my partner was bored. Oh, no, no. Oh, my God. He was bored. (laughs) Dump his ass. Dump his ass. (laughs) Okay, I literally wrote to my friend in England today saying it's such a good example of superb, understated acting in in like an anticlimactic, dramatic sense, Mm -hmm. but has an impact that's so profound that I just just like him in shock every few scenes. And all the actors knock it out of the park. But anyway, so they're investigating pedophile Catholic priests in Boston, right? They think they're going to find two or three. Then they realize they've found 14. 
And Mm -hmm. then they're blown away by the fact that they've confirmed 14 cases. They bring that to this lawyer and he says, look at this. And they discover it's over 90 in Boston. So it's like, put that on a macro scale to the world and the powerful elite. And all of a sudden this stuff mathematically makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I just think, you know, I don't know why it's so hard for people to, to, I guess, I guess people don't want to believe that it's horrible. You know, evil exists on that scale. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't throw that word around lightly. We like to think really, evil ended with Nazi Germany, basically. Right. And, and we're better than that now. And yeah. you know, none of these things yeah. happen. But, China's but not doing do. concentration camps and selling Uyghur uh, organs on a scale that Nazi Germany never could have imagined. That's not happening. Right, right. We have the um, evidence, but it's not happening. Did you hear about the, the weaves of fake hair that arrived in the U.S.? What? Hundreds yeah. of tons. You know what weaves are, right? You're a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, yes. Hundreds I, of I, tons I of weaves, weave. fake hair weaves, arrived in the U.S. for sale. Okay. Because people buy weaves of fake hair and pay good money for it. Yeah, sure, sure. And then it was found out that these weaves from China were all real hair. Okay. From the Uyghur concentration camps. Mm. So actually, honestly, the fact that Trump did that shit, embargoing China, sort of, honestly, we should all fucking embargo China. Uh, Part of me, part of a reactionary dark part of me wishes we could just nuke that fucking place um, because I am sick. I never thought that I would see concentration camps reemerge in my lifetime and the fact that they have makes me actually want to take up arms and go to war. And the fact that I'm saying that is so weird. You have no idea how weird it is for me to say this. Because I've been, like, non-violence my whole life. I've been beaten nearly to death so many times and never struck back once. But part of right. me wants to take up arms and invade that fucking country for fucking doing re-education concentration camps for sterilization and selling their organs. What the fuck? Oh, like, yeah, see, I definitely don't know enough about that to make a comment, which I will clearly it's have such to rectify. a big rectify. deal. John Oliver just covered it. And you know if John Oliver oh, really? covered it, then it's too big and to be ignored. at that point, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, exactly. he ignored all the actual evidence and seriousness of it. He only covered the, like, easy-bake oven version, you know? Right, But, right. like, it's way bigger, and it's it's insane. Like, we have concentration camps rivaling Nazi Germany happening right now and it's evil. It's like, it's so fucked up. Oh my God, I'm losing my shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Ooh. okay. Yeah, dude. I mean, Fuck, I... I'm gonna have to get stoned after this to go to sleep. It's a weird time to be alive. Well, it's <laughs> this we weird simulation that I keep expecting to wake up from. Yeah, I mean, I, my question is, and you know, perhaps this is a good place to to close. And I only say that because I look up my battery and realize that it's nearly dead. But um, you know, what do we do? I guess as you know, spiritual people and magical practitioners with that. You know, that's always been my question because I'm not a big. Uh, I think it's pretty useless to do these like very disorganized group workings, like hex Trump or whatever. You're like, what, like what the fuck? What is that? You know, like that's. Not we're not going to accomplish anything, in my opinion, um, with that, unless 
certain technologies are employed that Listen, currently are not being employed. Come on. Like, as, but, if, as if Trump's the problem. All the Every one of these politicians, right. every single one of these people, as, as far as I can tell, are reprehensible scumbags. Right, every exactly. one of them. I can't, I can't find a single one that I think is even slightly decent human being. Yeah, I think no, you're we need totally an, right. I'm, I'm sympathetic to the riots and protesters, though I think a lot of them should probably be put in jail, honestly, for ruining regular people's lives and all that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm saying too much, I know. But, <laughs> but, but I do think we need an overhaul of the entire system, and I don't know if that can happen. Um, we might have to do it in bits and pieces over a couple hundred years if we don't die first from a meteor. Yeah, I think you've kind of summed it up there. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is is that uh, we do? I know, I know, we're in trouble meteor. when you think that my <laughs> ramblings are summing anything up. <laughs> but but it does. I mean, I think that's the problem is when people when people say things like defund the police, which in theory I think is not a bad idea, but. We can, you know, re- you, we can not, reform the police into various departments and different things. Right. And shit. None of this shit is gonna is gonna. We're not. We're okay. Look, let's be totally real here. On a let let me be succinct for one second. Surprisingly, this time next year, shit's not gonna be fixed. <laughs> like it doesn't matter who gets elected. It doesn't matter what happens with the vaccine. This time next year, we are not gonna be like back to normal whatever the fuck normal was you know like we are we are in a very rapidly shifting and evolving timeline now and as quickly as things are moving we can't expect the progress to be you know instantaneous we're a tiny fucking drop in the massive ocean of humanity like we what happens to us what happens to you or me in this moment in this lifetime does not really fucking matter and the best we can hope for is to hopefully contribute something of benefit to the sort of cumulative progress of humanity but um it's hard fucking work (laughs) at this moment in time have you ever read any herman hesse a little bit but not a whole lot yeah you have you read siddhartha no, but I should. Yeah, it's 100 pages. Read it now. Yeah. I'll wait. I'll wait <laughs> right on now. while you read it right now. Um, read yeah. Siddhartha, <laughs> and if you want to change your life, read The Glass Bead Game. Hmm, yeah. write that down. It's only 800 or so pages, but it will change your life. That's what I need, man. I think that's what we all need is, is some we, change. We need transformation. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why we should all do as much DMT as possible. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I'll, I'll close with this um, another rambling thought. Closing. But, um, you're not closing till your phone dies. Well, all right. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, we can take that gamble. We'll see what happens. Wouldn't that be fun <laughs> if we actually did an episode um, that ended abruptly I, I with mean, your phone dying? That'd be kind of beautiful, wouldn't it? Oh, it was very poetic. poetic. In fact, <laughs> <Jeez>. um, <laughs> but um, you know, at the, a couple of years ago, when I when I started kind of diving back into my spiritual practice really um, conscientiously because, you know, I, I don't think that you ever are not doing spiritual work, particularly if you're, if, if you started at a young age. I mean, I would argue that all humans are on a spiritual path whether they know it or not. But anyway, um, you're never really off it, right? Like you said earlier, you know, you might go dark, you might kind of fall off the radar for a while and people don't hear about what the fuck you're doing. It doesn't mean you're not doing anything. But 
when I started coming back to my practice more publicly and more uh, deliberately, I started hallucinating moths fucking everywhere. And um, I didn't really understand why. I didn't know what that meant. You know, I, I have very vivid uh, hypnagogic or hypnagogic hallucination, hallucinations. So I would be in bed, tired but not falling asleep. And I would just see them, like, right in front of me. I'd have to reach out and bat at them to make sure they weren't there, and then they would disperse. But they were just fucking everywhere, these giant moths, and sometimes they were made of light and very sort of sigil-like. I didn't really understand it, but um, I sort of adopted it as a, as a symbol and as something that was important to me. And then at the beginning of quarantine, I started finding caterpillars all over my yard. And I took the cue from the universe, and I was like, all right, I guess I'm raising caterpillars now. I guess that's a thing that I'm fucking doing. There's nothing else going on. I may as well. And so I started <laughs> started raising caterpillars and watching them, you know, from teeny, teeny, tiny, the size of my fingernail to, um, to you know, eating and growing and, and cocooning and emerging. No shit, And that's, that process, you know, of like literally witnessing day by day that transformation was life-changing in a way that I don't think I can really adequately express. It's so simple. It's something that happens every day. You know, it's not really remarkable, but it is remarkable when you watch it happen and when you really sit with that and meditate on what that means. I mean, caterpillars in a cocoon turn to goo. They literally turn to, like, liquid in there. How is that possible? And then, right, and then fucking reform. <laughs> Um, into these into these creatures, into these beings that are, you know, magical and beautiful and whimsical, but oftentimes can't eat. You know, they, they most species of butterflies and moths don't have the necessary, um, you know, apparatus to feed themselves oftentimes. So they kind of live to fuck and reproduce and then they just die because they starve to death. And everything about that was, I, it felt like I'd been slapped in, slapped in the face. Um, by something the universe had been trying to sort of teach me and show me for years. And finally the universe was like, oh, do you fucking get it, bitch? Like, do you understand what this means now, you dumbass? Um, and I do understand what it means, but I don't know that I can adequately share that with anybody else. Because I think in some ways it was a very kind of personal message for me and for what was going on in my life. But really remarkable. Transformation is the point. Change is the point. Resisting change politically or socially or personally is completely defeating the purpose. And I think, I wish that's something that people would understand about magic is that this using it as a tool to just get what you want is so antithetical to, to the true purpose in my opinion, because oftentimes what we want isn't what is going to help us transform and change. Yeah. Often what we want is to cling, right? It's that four of pentacles deal. You're like, I've got some stuff and I want to hold on to it. Um, and that's not, that's not how you fucking play the game. It's not how you grow. I think a lot so, of people think magic is about doing things to get what you want. But when, totally. you, when, really, when you really understand magic, you realize it's about learning how to survive what you have to be and do. Oh, I love that. Yes. Because exactly. I know I can make things happen and I've made lots of things happen and there usually doesn't turn out so well. What turns right. out well? <laughs> no, seriously. And, uh, you know, um, but, but when I continue to work and develop myself through 
habitual daily practice and rigor, which is the key, mm -hmm. I gain abilities to handle life as it comes along. And it's almost like if I'm doing the work, then the most amazing things come to challenge me and give me opportunities that I could never have imagined. And because I have the skill, perhaps, to handle it and get through it, great things happen, result. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, um, and I think it's understanding that it, it will be a process. And even though, like you said, you could do a working, do a ritual, snap your fingers and immediately be given what you think that you want. That's not the point. Like if you, if you remain open to this being a, a flow, you know, a give and take a journey and experience, you're, you're likely to really come out ahead of yourself at the end of the day. I mean, I've had the same experience. I, I tell people all the time, like I can do things and I have done things. And almost across the board, when I have acted in self-interest based on what I thought I want, wanted in the moment, it has been a bad fucking idea. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the spirits that I work with have said, sure, bitch, we'll give you what you want. Uh, enjoy that. See how you, see how you cope <laughs> with Sometimes this thing that you, want. you are meant to do that, that working. To let That's true. the divine will flow through you for the, the good to happen. I mean, I, I had one. Okay, so here's a here's a here's a weird example of that. This is weird. So right <laughs> after nine eleven, my buddy was coming back from doing his master's in medieval history at York University in England. Yeah, yeah. And I got a call at three a.m. in the morning in Vancouver, and it was him. And he said, "I'm at the airport in London, and I left my passport in York." Oh God. I'm like, oh baby, you're fucked. He's like, yeah, I know, I'm fucked. I'm like, you're super fucked. Why are you calling me? He's like, I thought maybe you could help me. I was like, oh, 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 shit. Uh, okay. Let me try. Yeah. No, I didn't say that. I would never say that. <laughs> if you're an adept of the system I'm an adept of, you never even think that way for a second because, and I can't explain why we don't think that way, but that way of thinking is the, your instant undoing. Ah, so it's a, it's kind of a Yoda perspective then. Do the, or do not. Let there me put no it this tried. way. This is the probably the most adept-like thing I could ever say to anyone. The accomplishment is not the results. It is the work. Ooh. I like that. So I did a technique that is only multi-year. has never been published. And I did it. And I went to sleep and forgot all about it. The next day he called me from Vancouver... And he said, I waited, like you said, for 15 minutes, and then I walked up to the gate. I walked up to the person. They said, passport and ticket, please. He said, I just have my ticket. And they said, he said, he said it looked like for a second they looked at him, but then <laughs> it was like there was this glitch. He said it was like she, like, the, the woman just, like, like her head moved. And then she said, okay, thank you very much. And he got on the plane. No passport. What? <laughs> what the fuck? That's amazing. So there's times at which magic is powerful and effective and meant to be done. Totally. You're meant to sometimes manipulate the glitches possible in our reality for the mm -hmm. benefit of a good cause, which is right. getting your buddy home from a foreign country. 
I've tried to do that same stuff in ways that would benefit me. It's not worked. And then I've been sent on a pathway that has led me to experiences that were clearly essential. So you can't right. change, I think, your true will. But your true will can sometimes change problems arising from the errors of your false self. That's very interesting. Yeah, I like that. I like that as a. Uh, I'm using a sort of a Thomas Merton theology of Catholic mysticism in that mm. description, mm. but that's fine. If if there's anything I love to do, it's blending Egyptian ritual magic with uh, Catholic theology. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I've been thinking this whole time that that is a an interesting path for you. You know. <laughs> well, I'm really go. excited to be doing the Celtic mysteries now, and I'm very excited that you, as you as you said, you've never dropped your email into something so fast i never have and you know maybe this conversation with me has sort of elucidated a little bit what led me to do that but it just seemed like you know i've been looking for some kind of more formal system for a while a while but well, meaning like 20 years <laughs> what we're doing what we're doing over the next five years is all of the Celtic Mysteries initiations Yeats wrote with Mathers and crew and the Golden Dawn Adepts. Right. And we are doing right. all of them. And I hope you can come to Soma Institute next June. If you can't, it doesn't matter because we'll do the first initiation the first year. The second year, we'll do the second and the first. So by the fifth year, we'll be doing all five in that week. Oh, and wow. Okay. It's not a problem. But what's really exciting about it is Yeats wrote this curriculum that integrates Celtic mythology and Celtic spiritual practice and shamanism, as well as entheogenic practices, because Yeats was a big fan of peyote. So we'll mm -hmm. be doing the initiation actually next June twice. We'll be doing it at the first night normally, and then we'll be doing it on the last night as an section option. You could go through it a second time entheogenically integrating peyote mushrooms or any of the entheogens that integrate with the ritual. Interesting. We're going to do both yeah, versions it. because it's all legal up there. It's all legal in Canada. And uh, we, we grow all that stuff on the property. It's all there. Cactuses grown on the property. Um, oh, wow. I know. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I guess it's a, whatever. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> I, every podcast, I think I'm going to be more conservative and, and professional, and everyone turns out with me swearing like a Vancouverite and uh, saying, yeah, I saying about things. Yeah, before I came on, I was like, should I try and moderate myself? But um, I, I don't do I that. always promise I will, and I never do. And that's, that's I think, the, the beauty of this whole medium. Um, right. You know, anyone who doesn't so, take advantage of the chance to speak unedited from their entire being is wasting their exactly, lives. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, it's, Yates has been such a formative part of my life, really. Um, from a young age and again really for reasons that I can't explain but when well you when have I a started, master's in fine arts in poetry yes correct that's right. fucking and hardcore I got girl. into graduate school I got into graduate school based on my grad school was weird right because there were two uh, professors who oversaw applications and for people listening who maybe don't know although I'm sure most do any kind of grad school, you have to go through an application process, and particularly if you're going for uh, a fine arts degree, the, they look a lot at, at your areas of study that you want to focus on, but they also look at your creative work to determine whether you're talented enough 
or what the fuck ever. Um, <clears throat> all a bit stupid, really, in retrospect. But my particular grad school had a, um, a set of professors, one of whom was incredibly, you know, formal and traditional and kind of conservative poetically, and the other who was a lot more sort of contemporary and, and freewheeling and feminist and so forth. And so to get into that school, you kind of had to appeal to both. You had to be able to show that you're kind of like a weirdo freak uh, who also had a backbone for, or, you know, a sense for this more sort of formal, traditional, dare I say, you know, white male canon of poetry. And I come in with this like bananas, you know, set of poems that I probably wrote while I was like fucked up on Xanax after an anxiety attack talking about breaking up with ex-boyfriends or whatever the hell I was writing about at <laughs> the age of 24, you know, As absolute, one does. Garbage, absolute garbage, probably. Um, but also talking and writing this essay about Yates and about, you know, how important Yates had been to me wow. as a, as a child and a young person. I mean, I had the, I was about to say lyrics, God, how cringy I had the words to sailing to Byzantium written in chalk like on my bedroom walls when I was a like angsty goth teenager like it, it's so formative to who I am as a, as a human and so when you kind of popped up in my life and I became aware of you and then we started talking and then you started mentioning Yates I was like oh something's happening here <laughs> like, this is something that I'm supposed to be paying attention to so it's very cool wonderful yeah well Yates is uh, a special being yeah like definitely I think set apart from his peers for any number of reasons, but, but also poetically, you know, like very, very different. You actually uh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say very different to much of what was being written at the time, I would argue. And I think because there's such a diversity of um, subject matter, apart from anything else in his work, you know, it goes from being, obviously very nationalistic and, and sort of th that's definitely a huge thread in his writing that you've got like political threads. And then you do have this very transcendental spiritual stuff happening, but it's happening in a way that's very different to the other poets doing that kind of work at the time. I don't know. It's, it's very intriguing. Yeah. It's you got to remember thing. when Yeats was a child, if you spoke Irish in school, the native language you grew up speaking they would beat the shit out of you. Right. If you were caught with the illin pipes, the instrument I play, they would mm -hmm. hang you from a tree. So you got to remember that when you think about what he was fighting against. Totally. Can you imagine Absolutely. if you knew someone who played an instrument and next thing you knew they hung him from a tree for playing that instrument? Yeah, exactly. That might make you be a bit more upset than all these fuckers burning down courthouses right now. Right. But, you know, it's interesting with Ireland and, and with the, the troubles. Yeah, well, <laughs> you'll have to edit yourself now. No, but, I don't uh, edit don't shit. Do but, people, people in America, the problem is no matter what I say, people try and categorize me, categorize me on the right or the left. I'm like, I don't even understand that whole mentality, man. Right. It's I like, what are you, in, some in fucking Gnostic? Fine binary at all exactly i'm non-binary um, i'm a human being and as a human being i uh i don't know <laughs> i do stuff i do and stuff. i think thoughts that I are diverse and nuanced i love it um, i do stuff and i think stuff 
Just, just stuff, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. He's, um, and I think, you know, I remember very, I have this very strong memory of choosing to do a sort of a paper on Yates in like eighth grade or ninth grade or something. And that was the first time that I became aware that he had this entire side of his life that was like a, him as a practicing occultist. And this was about the same time as I was also exploring that side of, of things in my own life. And I, it was like a door had blown open in my head. I was like, what the fuck? Wow. This guy was like part of these, uh, you know, these, um, you know, Western mystery traditions. And I just like, I was absolutely blown away by that. And I remember giving a presentation about that in, um, in my, you know, eighth grade Anglican school class. And they were not, not Yates impressed. was also an Anglican. Do you know that? I did not know that actually. Like me, one side of his family was Catholic. One side was Anglican. Huh? Yeah. And he and he fell on the Anglican side no, rather than the Catholic side. He, all he cared about was uh, fairies. Yeah, and isn't that interesting too? I'm actually very excited for uh, for hearing more of your thoughts on that, which I assume we shall in the process. Coming. So, in the last uh, three weeks since I've been AWOL, I uh, I did do about twenty thirty hours straight work on the initiation, the first nice. one, and it's way more work than I thought it would be. Especially mm-hmm. since if there's one thing I'm going to do well before I die, it is this. And yeah. um, it's amazing, though. It's amazing. Like, the integration of the dragon mythology into the initiations and ceremonial magic is profound. Yates also outlined a curriculum of study that integrates the inner order teachings of the Golden Dawn, which is actually a misnomer because oh. the inner order of the Golden Dawn is actually not part of the Golden Dawn, believe it or not. Fun <laughs> fact for all you fuckers listening out there. The inner order of the Golden Dawn is actually the a Rosicrucian order that has very little to do with the Golden Dawn. The Golden Dawn's like an outer school. And the Order of Celtic Mysteries was originally conceived of by him and McGregor Mathers as an outer, outer order. In the very much the same way that Dion Fortune's uh, order, uh, what's it called? The uh, the Circle of Light or no, the, whatever it's called. I'm, I can't remember. Uh, fuck, I've been up forever since. So, so it was... They were actually considering using Celtic god forms instead of Egyptian god forms in the initiations of the Golden Dawn originally, but because of the animism of the Golden Dawn, of the Egyptian gods, it was considered easier to get in touch with those energies because they look like animals, which are more grounded archetypes than, yeah, human, yeah. than anthropomorphic beings. And Yeats really struggled in his scrying work with discerning how those god forms should appear. So in high school, that's what I did. I did all the work with the main gods that correspond to the Tree of Life and mm-hmm. developed their god forms in a series of invocational and scrying sessions throughout my grade 12 year. And oh, cool. That's what I wrote a book on, and that's what I submitted to the University of British Columbia to skip my bachelor's. <laughs> I know, as one does. Um, and... Uh, so what we're going to be doing is doing an integration of Celtic mythological rituals he outlined in conjunction with inner order ritual practices of the Golden Dawn that normally you wouldn't get till you spent like three to five years doing the outer order. So we're going to be yeah. doing all of that combined uh-huh. in a fusion form in the Order of Celtic Mysteries. And the reason is because that is what McGregor Mathers, Moyna Mathers, and W.B. Yeats intended. So I, yeah. you know... Uh, vows of secrecy aside, which I'm not currently bound by as... Well, I was about to ask you about that, because I was like, aren't people going to be pissed about that? Why am I able to teach (laughs) stuff I'm able to teach outside of vows, right? A lot of people ask that. 
Mm-hmm. It's because there's a uh, there's a clause in the in the vows in the Golden Dawn, and this is going to really piss off a lot of people right now. But Yay! you know, go fuck yourselves. Um, so here's the clause. The clause is that you will not reveal anything whatsoever. Blah blah blah, without permission of one of the chiefs of the second order. Okay. So what does that mean if you are a chief of the second order? What does that mean? It means you can do what you want because you are now a representative of the tradition and have the ability to do whatever you want as lo- because you only answer to your holy guardian angel. I, I assume, though, that people who disagree with you would interpret that as needing permission from an additional person and not just yourself. Yeah, that's interesting, but um, if that were the case, then I would have been bitch-slapped long before now. So true. Um, also the so fact true. that every single reputable Golden Dawn Order, uh, or the chiefs of most of the reputable Golden Dawn Orders, all communicate with me even when they can't communicate with each other. So what does that tell you on a practical level? Right, exactly. And, you know, I mean, traditions have to now, if um, I rejoin evolve, any of those right? orders, a lot of those orders have invited me to rejoin them. If I rejoin huh. them, I would then be under vow again. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But I've tried to rejoin them at their invitation, and my higher self has said no. It says, you have huh. other things to do now. Let them know that. If they want you after you're done the current curriculum I've set for you, that's fine. So huh. I'm doing what I have to do. I'm going to be dead soon anyway, let's face it. You can't take it with you. Life is really short. Right. And, if, and this, if I mean, so I this really, is, is for you, this really is like a calling. This is this is deeply like the life's work, really. I always thought someone else was going to do it. And then John Michael Greer <laughs> went off on a, a Welsh mythology angle for his Druidic studies in order. And I was like, whoa, shit, he didn't go into the Gaelic side. He went into the Welsh side. So I guess if it's not me, then no one's going to do it. And I've always wanted to go through these initiations. Turns out I'm going to have to design them, conflate them, put them together on my own. And it's going really well. It's a lot of work. I'm so glad. It's going really well. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. I'm very excited for people to go through them. And I look forward to this five-year curriculum that people can go through, graduate from, which is crucial. You graduate from it. So there's no lifelong membership and power control, leadership buying bullshit. Like, I want to go through it. We'll all go through it. Then I'm done. Hopefully enough people will carry it on so it doesn't die out. If it dies out, who gives a shit? That's awesome. Yeah, I really love that. Um, and and I love that, I mean... the techniques that Yates provides are like tatwas. We're going to do a lot of tatwas, and tatwas are awesome. They're one of the most overlooked aspects of the system, and there's a bit of Kabbalah as well, and then there's mm-hmm. all these other Celtic rituals that we're going to be doing that are really awesome, and uh, I'm excited. And, uh, and fairies, I assume. Fairies. We're, so you know what mushrooms, magic mushrooms, do you know what they're called in Irish Gaelic? I do not. They're called Kapani Puka. Which is? It means puka hats. <laughs> I love that. And puka, I mean, as you know, is the shape-shifting fairy. Yes, yes, and yes. If you might have noticed on mushrooms, if you don't shape-shift and shift your shape in that journey into the she, because mushrooms take you into the she. The first time I did mushrooms was on the bank of a river outside Galway. And oh, I wow. noticed if you don't shapeshift and go with the flow on mushrooms, it will fuck you up. 
Totally. You have yeah, to again, it's, it's that resistance to change, right? It's the resistance to the transformation. You don't get very fucking far, uh, and you do not have a good time if you resist that liquefaction of the caterpillar. Oh, that's so uh, well said. You said <laughs> you that know? so well. Um, well, it's interesting, actually. So I had this caterpillar. I Sorry, I'm very hardcore in a caterpillar space uh, as a human right now. But I was taking care of this this very beautiful caterpillar that was set to become just the most gorgeous uh, butterfly ever. I forget. Um, I forget exactly. It's a woolly. It was a woolly bear, and woolly bears become just really beautiful, really beautiful butterflies. There's an entire woolly bear festival. I found out uh, in some weird town in the USA that everybody loves these fucking caterpillars. But really, I loved this thing, and I would take it out and like you know, it would crawl over my hand and all my friends were like, that's what the hell are you doing? You've turned, you've gone insane. Um, and it finally got to cocoon phase. It was building this beautiful little shelter out of twigs and, and, you know, silk. And it was just beautiful to watch. And then nothing happened. And he just like, didn't come out and he didn't come out. And I was kind of helicopter parenting this caterpillar, uh, obsessively being like, are you okay in there? Uh, which was also a lesson for me to like not fucking do that and just let people do their thing and not harass them constantly. But, um, you know, I finally kind of cracked the cocoon open a little bit to see what was happening in there. And he literally had got halfway through his sort of liquefaction uh, process. What this particular caterpillar does is it builds an outer cocoon. And then inside that outer cocoon shelter, it sheds its little caterpillar body and it solidifies into sort of a, a hard sort of shell right and it had gotten halfway through it so its head was still caterpillar shaped and its back end was this hard little nugget and it just stopped halfway through the transformation it was like nope i'm done this was all it was ever supposed to be i was never supposed to be anything more than this i reached a point and i stopped um and that was a really profound moment it was this moment of like wow this creature either got to a point where that was all the transformation was supposed to be and it wasn't supposed to be this you know, full cycle. It was just supposed to be a shorter cycle or it resisted or I fucked with it too much. And it was like, I'm done. This bitch needs to stop harassing me. <laughs> so that's probably what happened, which is very depressing. Um, very important life lesson. Kids uh, oh just let God. people do their thing maybe and don't constantly check up on them like a weird codependent caterpillar parent. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's, to me, that's like a trip also. It's like that resistance to the trip. Like you said, you're not um, going to have a good time of it if you don't just flow. Even if you feel like my life is ending, if you feel like my insides are liquefying and I'm becoming something I'm not, sometimes you just have to release that and, and flow with it. It's interesting to talk about the, the fae or the, the, the she, you know, because, again, to reference TikTok, um, all the baby witches on they're obsessed with fairies for whatever yeah, reason. Like that's are? the thing. The children, the, the, the baby witches on TikTok oh. are ab- absolutely obsessed with, with fairies, uh, which makes sense when you think about, you know, young people and magic, because well, that's your most ex- mysteries. Pardon me. They should join our Celtic mysteries. Do you want thirteen-year-olds? Oh, uh, no, <laughs> I mean, no, no. are we are we going to a pizza game? Oh my <laughs> god, you said it. You said that. That's horrible. Oh, no, that's funny. No. Um, we leave that to Bohemian Grove and uh, Chrissy <laughs> Teigen. Jesus Christ! But no, I mean, it's. I, I think it makes sense because 
that's the mythology that you grow up with. You know, the, the non, um, non-theological mythology as a child, you, you hear fairy stories and you have this sense of this is, this is how magic might be in the world, right? This is, this is the access point. And then you have the older, more experienced practitioners telling all these children, like, do not fuck with fairies. It's a bad idea. <laughs> you just leave that shit alone. Um, you know, this this whole sense that certainly a large majority of people in the British Isles and, and in Ireland would do things to keep fairies away. <laughs> you don't want them around necessarily. And... Um, I don't know. I've always, I've never worked with them consciously, but I've always felt a connection well, we're gonna on some level. That. You know? Did you, did you work with the, uh, the second lesson that went out on the, with the King of the Fairies, Midier? I did. Yes, I did. Any, any experience? Weirdly, no. Um, but I think I just need to up my game again and be a bit more conscientious and repeated with um, what I'm doing rather than this sort of haphazard scattered approach that I've been taking. I need to be a bit more scholarly well, about one, it. One of the things we do in the Golden Dawn that people don't realize unless they actually join and get initiated into a temple is people often think that we say these words very uh, systematically and right. and like with proper pronunciation, but we don't. We don't. <laughs> we, we don't enunciate the vowels and consonants in a clear and concise way. We vibrate them with our whole bodies mm-hmm. and we do it for extensive periods of time. Take that mid-ear invocation like I did uh, the first night I did it. I just mm-hmm. did it over and over for an hour and a half until I lost my mind and <laughs> I felt like I became something else and some yeah. other crazy shit happened. Like, really explore the ecstatic sort of trance-like nature of ritual work, especially in Golden Dawn practice, a lot of people think ceremonial magic is very dry and rigid. It's right. not. Like, when we do the middle pillar, one of the most common things that initiates do with the middle pillar ritual is we lo- lean up against the wall and then lower our backs till our knees are bent. Huh. Imagine doing that and then vibrating divine names for two hours. Your body is shaking, you're dripping with sweat, you're, and you walk out floating on a cloud. Like, And we're going to do stuff like that. It's going to be fun. Right. We're going to have it's a like lot of fun. Em- it's embodied. Yes, in a, in it's a, very shamanic in a way. People don't realize yeah. that about ritual magic. They think it's all structured and rigid. It is not in practice anything like that. Yeah, like which, just, which I love. Because I mean, because that is a. Tur- I mean, as as much as I am a nerd, <laughs> that is kind of a turnoff sometimes, right? Is is oh, that dryness? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we can totally uh, get caught up in in the the mercurial intellectual side of things and forget to be sulfurous and embodied, all salty, and just like really take it into ourselves and sort of destroy ourselves. Annihilation is the essence of Kabbalah. You got to annihilate yourself to transform yourself. Yeah, exactly. And you know that that's that's the fear stepping in. And I think you know I I can be very honest in this interview and say I think at the point that I'm at in my practice there are still moments of fear, like very genuine. Um, I you think know, you know, Yeah, I don't know how else. It's to important put it aside to be pushed. I was doing work ritual work with Frater C, who's part of a Golden Dawn order that's nothing to do with me, and he talked to one of his his mentors and leaders and said he did some work with me, and he wasn't sure how to feel about it. And you know what the leader said? <laughs> you know what the guy said to him? And this what? is an order that's founded by, like, a guy who did wrong by my sister. So, like, this is not a... 
nascently friendly relationship. But when that guy heard that this other fratter was doing work with me, you know what he said? He said, you know what? If RC is willing to do ritual work with you, just do it. I love that. Right? That's good. That's pure magic, man. Fuck all this sectarian group delineation bullshit. Just do the work. And it's important to be pushed. Uh, You have to push people over and over and over again. And uh, whenever we get to do ritual work together, we're going to do that stuff. It's really fun. I push myself to the max when I do it, and it's it's important part of the learning experience. When I do work with other people, I want them to push me, and that's how we should do it. We we all got to push each other to be the best that we can be. <laughs> exactly right. But, you know, I think that's, again, that's why I had felt this urge to be, be a part of something. And it's not that I don't push myself. I absolutely do. Um, again, Capricorn rising. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely do. What's your sun sign? Leo, I'm a Leo. That's, That's right, you're a Leo. Like no wonder we uh, jive in a weird way, because I'm an Aquarius, so we're each at other shadows. Yep, yeah. and you know what, I, I love I love many in Aquarius, uh, some of my closest, everyone, everyone particularly does. spiritual friends are, are Aquarians, yeah. but... Um, we're, we're the I, most interesting, vapid motherfuckers you'll ever meet. Exactly right. Yeah. But you know what, I don't feel like a Leo <laughs> most, of the, most of the time. It's, it's a very weird thing. Um... I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my moon is in Cancer, so I think that that's probably the, the dominant energy, to be honest with you. Yeah, I hear you. Um, for me. Mine's but in Sag. You, wait, what are you? Moon in Sag. Oh, moon in Sag. Okay, right on. Don't it's you have Scorpio fire. somewhere? Huh? Where's your Scorpio? First degree ascendant. Mm. <laughs> that's why everyone thinks I'm like some super dark occulty dude. But then they meet me, and if they find out I'm, like, some totally goofy humanitarian Aquarius, they're like, oh, you're you're just some, like, fucking silly goofball. It's like, yep, you're not actually, like, some, like, Scorpio occulty dude into sex. I'm like, no, sorry. No, sorry. If you're you're uncertain of that, ask my ex-girlfriends. I'd way rather talk to someone all night than fuck them all night. See, my ex-husband was a a Scorpio occulty dude, and... um, you know that that did not end well. So uh, so yeah. Yeah, fuck Scorpios. I've never met a good one. I've met one good Scorpio. One good Scorpio, but he was you Irish. Know, it's weird. I know some like nice lady Scorpios. I just don't think it's a good trait in men. Yeah, right. Is <laughs> is weird to say, but um, but yeah, no. Uh, my ex husband actually just got excommunicated from one of his uh, occult orders for being a, a big old creep. So, Which order? Um, he was, uh, he, or, you know, I don't know because I haven't literally spoken to him in like six years, but um, when you. we were together, he practices a lot of uh, ATRs, West African traditions, and oh, he yeah. was, I believe, initiated into Kimbanda. Mm. So um, that's that's definitely where he was doing while we were together, and then I think after we uh, divorced, he got an initiation, but he did just get the boot. Mm. So... Uh, you know, yeah. that's that's what you get for being no good sometimes. When I was the imperator of the Golden Dawn in Canada, I expelled so many people for for sexual misconduct, it's not even funny. I, I believe it. To this I mean, day, I, I get death threats. I woke up today to two death threats and two attempted lawsuits. Really? Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Dude, I've been <laughs> shot at over this shit. 
you, you and I are going to have to compare notes on that at some point because uh, I don't think I've ever received a death threat um, to date. <laughs> maybe, maybe there is one coming, but I certainly have had plenty of cease and desist letters. Oh in man, my time. yeah, no. The fun, people that fun, have that the people who like the people who have most of my property in their houses from thefts and home invasions. They're like constantly trying to sue me because I keep telling people that they rob me. And they're like, just because we bragged about robbing you on the internet doesn't mean you have a right to tell everyone that we robbed you. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, sorry, motherfuckers. That's not going to hold up in court, friends. Um, Yeah, no. If you do bad shit, people are going to talk about it. So deal with it. Pretty much, exactly right. Uh, America's so funny like that, too. I mean, I, I don't know that that happened to you in America, but I've no, Canada, never... Canada. You don't have any protection from the police. And in Canada, if someone breaks into your house with a gun and you punch them, you're going to go to jail for assault. Yeah, for assault, yeah. They won't get yeah. in trouble at all, which is fucking stupid. That is ridiculous. I will say, I think America has that shit right with, yeah. uh, with, stand, your, yeah. with stand your ground. You I've know? never um, wanted a gun so much in my life, and the fact that I'm saying that is the weirdest thing in the world to me. But, like, I've been assaulted almost 12 times in the last three months here, and it's insane. It's insane. Good how, Lord. how the fuck do people have the right to put their hands on me without permission and get away with it and be supported by those around them? I do not understand it. It makes me fucking sick. That's bonkers. Yeah, I I had never wanted to. I mean, I I have never shot a firearm. I have only ever held a firearm one time, but because again, I come from a place where we don't have them. I'm anywhere. a great shot. I did I did firearm school in Thailand for three months. It's a it's a good thing to know how to do. And I mean, since I've lived in the United States, I I never thought I would say this, but I'm fi- I, I'm at a point where I'm like, you know what? I kind of wouldn't mind knowing how to like use a weapon just in case I'm ever going to need it because right? shit shit here is fucking bonkers. It's bonkers. <laughs> it's bonkers. Uh, I used I used to live in this uh, this house downtown, and uh, there was an abandoned house next door to me, and for an entire summer. There was this guy squatting in that house who would um, masturbate through the window of the house where he knew I could see him. So I would be, like, walking into the the kitchen at night to, like, get a snack. (laughs) That is so fucking scary. Are you there? Okay. I think the phone died. We agreed to go until the phone died. And believe it or not, we made it over four hours. So thank you, Celeste Mott. Everyone check out our website, celestemottmott.com. That's Celeste with an E at the end. Please check her out. That was amazing. And uh, thanks for being. I love the fact that we went till her phone died. And uh, have a nice day, everybody. Amen. Hallelujah. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. 
For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. HermeticScienceEnterprises.co.uk